Thanks for taking the time to download this BBC Radio 5 Live podcast. To search for other podcasts you might like, click bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live, where you'll also find our terms of use. What? No, I was just making a noise. I just did a thing. You're just making a noise? I was, yeah, I was just making a noise. I've done it now. What kind of a noise is it? It was just a that noise. Go, go away. Oh, we've just started. We no, have. I'm not. We haven't started yet. I'm doing something else. We're just calling something up. Fine. Okay, ready to go. Yeah, we, we, we've started. Have we actually started? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Fine. As soon as you start making funny, funny noises, then uh, we start. That's right. I'm just going to send you a message. I just wanted to read you this thing. Did you, oh, I don't great. Know what... We're starting in fine form then as old man reads something from a screen. So this happened when we were away. Hello. Welcome back, incidentally. Oh, yeah. Nice to see you. Thank did you. you. I thought you were great on the cruise. Thank you. I did think the string vest was inappropriate. Most of the time. And because it's given me a string vest tan. However, I must say, I am looking more tan than you are. Well, I've been in Edinburgh for a week. Oh, well, so that took the tan away that you got on the cruise? Yes. OK, was... I don't think that... No, it's true. It's I just, all, it's... Would you now like to apologise to no. all of Edinburgh for the suggestion that going there for a week makes you look pale and pasty? No, I think they would all agree with that. Because <laughs> the, the, the fact is, when, uh, when the... the, yeah. the editor, they... can I just say, editor, he said it, not me, so when the letters of complaint come in, they're for him, OK? Mayo at bbc.co.uk. If you spent any time in Edinburgh in August... I have you know, spent time like, in Edinburgh in well, August, and I look fabulous. Cloudy and 15 degrees, that's basic, that's a good day. <laughs> that's a lovely summer. So that's fine. No, so that's certainly my no excuse. cultural Plus, stereotyping going on there. No, it's just geographically and scientifically based. Let me just run it past our Scottish editor. It's a good day, see, 15 and cloudy. And you, if you look pale and pasty, that's just the way of it. Okay. Anyway, why are you being so horrible? I'm not being horrible. I was about to read you something. This is from the um, uh, Financial Times, OK? So the Financial Times wrote this thing about... So that, that's a- what? That's a different newspaper with a different opinion. That must have been quite a shock. I know. I, 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 apparently, there are whole there are whole other opinions. That think of other things everywhere. Really? I know. And I, I, you start finding out about this stuff. There are people who think things that are completely the opposite of what you. I mean, I was staggered that this How was is this allowed, allowed to go on. I know. So anyway, they're talking about uh, about the, the film show, which I'm very nice. This one, yes, this one that, that we do, unless we're away getting our tans lost in Edinburgh. And uh, so they said, um, blah, 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 blah. Kermode and Mayer's film review show includes very loyal listeners as much as possible, you know, getting listeners involved. There's a cheery fraternal familiarity. There is a cheery fraternal familiarity between the two presenters that also encourages a sense of being included. Bickering and mistakes stay in. Even we'll edit that out. It makes us look like we don't know what we're doing. So basically they're saying that we're good because we leave the bad bits in. Which I'm, I'm listen. I will. I'm happy to take praise wherever we find it. Yes. Although there is stuff that's edited out. I know. And as Robin, our editor, pointed Scott, out Scottish when editor. he read that, our Scottish editor. Are we, are we going to do that now every time? Well, only because he's 15 degrees in Edinburgh. He went thumbs up. That's okay. That's Robin, our Scottish editor, pointed out if they thought that was the unedited version with the mistakes left in. Here's the thing. Can well, I, I just have say, a right shock? Yes. I, it know, takes a lot of effort to sound this casual. I tend to be quite pasty, but next to the Proclaimers, which I was yesterday because they were playing in the, oh, playing in the big blue tent, I, I'm a suntanned. Caribbean hunk. That's what I am. Because they are the pastiest of pasty. So there you go. But they, but they have lusty voices. They do indeed. Yes, yes. I'm just saying that. I'm just talking about skin colour. No, no, no. But how were they? Were they because they they seem really nice. I met them once and they were really nice. No, they were absolutely fabulous and they uh, they rocked the BBC Blue Tent. Did they? Yeah. What did they play? 
Uh, well, they did Sunshine on Leith. And oh, brilliant. The biggest smile that I saw yeah. uh, was from the roadie who had to bring in the pedal steel guitar, which is the most <laughs> uncomfortable, really hideous <laughs> instrument to lug around. Because most instruments are sexy and look great. Yeah. You can throw them over your back and say, hey, look at me, I'm in rock and roll. Yeah. But the pedal steel guitar is like, bringing, it's like bringing on a sewing machine on exactly. one of those built-in tables with the pedals. Exactly the, right. What they call them, trestles. Laura Maxwell is on. Hello? I'm a sporadic listener. Which is not really a, a really promising. Do you start. want to go on with that if she's only sporadic? Well, she's second year psychology student from. By the way, on the subject of Edinburgh, uh, thanks to everyone who ran up and said uh, how much they enjoy the program, particularly the Manchester University Drama Society, who had a big <laughs> show on, and they gave me the flyer. You know, you get hundreds of flyers, and they said, "Please come and see our show." And I and I might have implied that I would if I could, and I would have done if I could, but I couldn't. Can I just say on the subject of Manchester University Amdram or Drama Society? When I was this is this is for podcast only because obviously he's coming on the show later on. When I was at Manchester in the nineteen eighties, there was a thing that they used to sing in the Manchester unit. Well, I was never I wasn't a drama student, I was an English student. The drama students were much cooler. And they used to sing this song that went Theatre, 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 Theatre Peter Hall, Theatre, 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 Lauren Bacall, Theatre, 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 Laurence Olivier, Theatre, 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 Tommy Cottonay. Who's coming on later? Exactly. You why well, that's great, and a, and a podcast exclusive, but I think you should serenade him. I'm not singing that to that's, his face. You should definitely sing it to his face. Definitely, <laughs> definitely sing it to his face. It is, so, it is so coming out. It is so coming out. It's definitely in. Anyway, Moving on. Laura is second-year psychology student from Leeds. I'm a sporadic listener, but I'm writing today as my dad is a very long-time listener who always has a new tale of what Simon and Mark were saying this week. We always listen to your podcast on long journeys, although we had to make do with old episodes on our five-hour trip up to the Lake District last week as you were off on holiday. We were lucky enough to get a few rants in our selection. The but show was on without us. It didn't stop. But none were as good as the entourage. Uh, the only problem with my dad's listening is that he uses Mark's opinions to back up his arguments about terrible films. Mm. For example... My brother and I thought that Lucy was a terrible film. It's no, 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 no. Stop. No. The plot was dubious. I'm a psychology student. The <laughs> ending was ridiculous. And if Scarlett Jansen can't redeem it, it must be bad. My dad, however, did not agree. To argue his point, he said, well, Mark likes it, which is something that is very difficult to argue back to, <laughs> as it seems that your views seem to have become gospel truth. Although that's not good. I wonder if any other listeners have also found this uh, to be a phenomenon in their households. Wednesday, the 19th of August, so Wednesday just gone, my dad and his 50th birthday. He would love it if he could get a cheeky shout-out on your podcast. <laughs> cheeky shout-out? I don't know how you do it. Cheek, like, ooh, a, cheeky. Not like a cheeky Nando's, is that what that is? I don't know. You can't say that, though, obviously, because there are other sort of spicy chicken-based snacks. Well, a cheeky, spicy chicken-based snacks outlet, which I wouldn't know about because I'm a vegetarian. Happy birthday, Andy. Anyway, cheeky. And P.S. Mark always says films are uneven. I just yes. want to know what that actually means because yeah. it's just film critic jargon. It doesn't actually mean anything. No, that's a very good point. There is a there was a brilliant table that was not table um, list that was drawn up by Alan Frank, um, formerly of the Daily Star, um, who's a, a long-standing film critic, and it was a list of what film critics say and what they mean. And he 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 put this together because very early on in his career, he had written in a review, "This film doesn't work." And the editor of the paper had called him into the room and said, what, you mean it didn't, it didn't play, it broke? And he went, no. And he said, but then it works. Well, you have to be more specific about what you mean. And he drew up this table and it was, it was things like, um, I've told you this before, but it was, uh, you know, glorious technicolour means in colour. Moody monochrome means not in colour. Very good. And there was another way. Oh, yes, fluid camera work. The cameraman was drunk. Uh, elliptical editing, so was the editor. Anyway, it goes on like that. Will Garrett's in Battersea. 
Um, LTL, FTE, BA, Year 6, Little Chalfont Primary School, Satin House Captain. I've listened to your show since EVS, but I have never been compelled to write in until a recent Wittertainment-related event involving a family member and Radio 2. My younger brother, With Jack... Radio 2? Is that the other station that you... Yeah, that's true. On? My younger brother, Jack, is a musician who has recently received very generous support from your cousins at BBC Radios 1 and 2. Amongst the festivals and gigs he's been playing at this summer... The wonderful Joe Wiley invited him to play a live set on her Radio 2 show a few weeks back. As a fellow devoted member of the church, upon arrival, he was quick to text me a photograph of a computer screen bearing Simon's name, to which I replied with the mandatory HTJI. However, he didn't manage to say it to the man himself. Here's the photographic evidence. That's my computer screen in my studio, which is where all the kind of jingly things uh, turn up. But you just have to type in... No oh, code. So you're logged in as Simon Mayo, and then suddenly all those, all the things that you you, you do on, yeah, Doctor Mosh and all that stuff. Right, is all... So, so you type in my code, Doctor Mosh. That that bit is in there. That's the one. Which what number is that? No, no, no. Uh, if you type in my code, which is, you just get all the stuff. I probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway, you probably get you just get all the stuff. It all comes up. So <laughs> right, I'll well, radio two now. Okay, fine. Anyway. He didn't stop there. During his interview with Joe, Jack proceeded to shout out the good doctors and Mr Isaacs live on air. See minute 89.25 of Joe's 23rd of July Radio 2 show if you wish to play it on the podcast. He proceeded to what? He, he said hello to us and, and Jason Isaacs. I wondered if you could return the favour by oh, giving so- a massive wasp to my little brother, Jack Garrett. He's currently on tour in North America with Mumford & Sons and will likely hear this message while being a rock star somewhere. He's not back until September, so it'll be a while before we return to disrupting our family gatherings with wittertainment references and bottom jokes. But a wasp and best of luck on tour from your good selves would serve as a very special way of letting him know that his big brother is immensely proud of him. It'd also okay. be cheaper than phoning him. And there's a photograph <laughs> of Joe Wiley and Jack Garrett. There you go. Who I have to say, I would advise him to lose the beard, but there you go. P.S. I hope you enjoyed his exclusive set on the cruise. Uh, shame he blew the speakers. He'll have to upgrade the sound system next year. Anyway, so this is the bit where Jack was uh, was on with Joe Wiley. We've queued it up to 89.25 minutes past of Joe's 23rd of July show like this. Are you enjoying Radio 2, by the way, I'm being here in this fantastic building? fantastic time. This is really, really lovely. I actually, I did tweet earlier because, uh, and I, I know that you saw it, I did yeah. uh, tweet at Simon Mayo, who walked past, and I'm an, I'm an, I'm an avid, avid fan of his um, his show on Five Live uh, with Mark Kermode, and yeah, I bottled it, but I was very tempted to scream out, um, hello to Jason Isaacs, which I didn't, <laughs> didn't get to do, but I, I, he did see it, which I was very... That's very funny, because I saw him as he left the building, and he was like, what's on your show tonight? And I said yeah. that you were on the show, and I Amazing. said, you'll, you'll love him. I did have to come and clear up all the muck that was here, though, because he leaves a terrible mess behind when they have the cooking okay I, I love the idea that you leave a terrible mess behind the studio off the amount of bad you know that's actually I, aggravation not i've true. been given by rory and the team for coming in here and eating a sandwich once uh, rory Catherine jones no what happens is on thursday we do food and i know you do fun the 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 well and they it's they that that leave the mess uh, you know a bit of spilt gravy that kind of thing Anyway, I love that guy's voice. I absolutely love his voice, Jack Garrett. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't eat most of what he talks about because it's very. Oh, Nigel the Nigel, Nigel the, the chef. chef. Yeah, yeah. Should we add? Should we put some Jack Garrett in our? We should put some Jack Garrett on the playlist, shouldn't we? We should put it sure. on the, just so that people can say, people go, oh, okay, fine. Well, let's... so we choose what would what would be a top tune. Well, is it a banging tune or a top tune? I don't. I just noticed that we're about to start. Uh, <laughs> Not quite a show for real. So yeah. why don't we? Have, we'll have a discussion. We'll, we'll have a discussion. Okay. And we'll consult with Scottish editor and see what he thinks. 
Okay. Uh, and we'll take it from there. Very good. Anyway, thank you very much indeed. So, uh, are you ready to go with the show? I'm as ready as Is I'm going to be. Is it going to be tip top? It's going to be tippity top. Are you happy? I haven't been happy since Nixon resigned. Boom. Okay. Let's go. Here all week. <laughs> Tip your waitress. Try the veal. Or don't try the veal because it's cruel. Hey, it's good to see you, Mark. Do you want to tell the listeners what the producer just said in your headphones? Yeah, just, to, uh, just to make us feel good was telling us how fantastic our replacements were. Yeah, Edith and Robbie were great. And Dave Morrissey was terrific. Hmm. In other circumstances, <laughs> that could have prompted a, a walkout. You know, if Shall we, we walk out? It, sort, it was sort of provocation, wasn't it? It was. In my contract, it says... I feel bullied. It is bullying in the workplace. It's a very, very good. Have point. you ever actually walked out of a radio show? Because I have. Yeah, well, yes, but you did for embarrassing reasons, though, didn't you? There was nothing embarrassing Mark about it. Mark and Lard were being rude about Elvis. Mm -hmm. And you walked out. Well, mm -hmm. that's ridiculous. Well, I explained the terms of engagement, which was that you don't, you know, you're not just casually rude about Elvis. <laughs> Why not? Be because you just you just because aren't you just aren't, you just aren't okay that's how it works you know so no I haven't anyway I hear that Edith and Robbie were indeed fabulous and that David Morrissey was fabulous too they're all fabulous they're people. all fabulous however it remains the case mm -hmm. yeah just, I just sent Mark a little note <laughs> a reassuring note here's the thing uh, I love the fact that we have to prop each other up. Because there's, there's no, no, no tidal wave of emails coming in saying there's no, well, there's no, no it's great no know. support from next door no, but they've got no. they've got vote edith badges on yeah i think it they actually changed the wittertainment thing it became muck wittertainment at one point it was like we were completely we became yesterday's news i know which can happen so so, so easily we should have badges made with our faces on just in case. Well, I have one with your face and you have one with my face. Otherwise, you can't wear a badge with your own face. It just looks like you've got two faces. Uh, anyway, here's a thing from uh, an anonymous person, but you'll know who it is. Dear man from uncle and man from auntie, you may recall my email from about the time of the general election. I'd just written an English essay borrowing Mark's often used phrase, it's not without flaws. Oh, yes. My teacher had just coolly dismissed this phrase in one word. Vapid. Vapid. I vowed never again to use the phrase, and to my great delight, for some weeks, a debate raged in the Wittersphere about the pros and cons of litotes. Isn't vapid what you do instead of smoking? Good. Good. And Dave Morrissey would never, never have, have got there. That. Robbie ha! Collin, he would have been Nothing. ten yards from that joke. Well, I broke my vow, as I couldn't resist slipping in one cheeky instance of It's Not Without Flaws into my GCSE English Literature exam. And it's not without pleasure that I now report my examiner presumably didn't mind. Thursday, A star in English literature. Wow. Says this wow. Thanks for helping me through my tedious hours of revision. And thanks as well to the marvellous teachers at Cherwell School in Oxford, without whose help I could never have scraped a pass. An A star is not scraping a pass. <laughs> no, it really he, isn't. I think he's trying to undermine his uh, uh, sort of uh, excitement with a little bit of... Uh, yeah, if you could, <laughs> Dave would have got that sentence. If you could offer them a well done, he's, you, he's listening now, completing that sentence in the car somewhere, <laughs> and tweeting the answer. Yeah. It's the least they deserve. Anyway, anonymous person, thank you very much indeed. So obviously, the GCSE English literature person was quite happy was uh, with it's not without flaws. Mm -hmm. So that's all fine and dandy. Well done to everybody uh, who got any kind of pass at all. Yes. Because some of us, I, I, I said this yesterday, amongst my, amongst my what was then O-level results, I have two U's and an E. There you go. And they never did me no harm. Uh, this is from 
uh, dazed, curly and confused from Glasgow. I recently began my uh, sixth final year of, of high school and I handed in my application for head girl. I didn't know you could apply. No, I thought you just got... You, you were anointed. You emerged. I yeah. thought that's what it was. Okay, so what but happened? She, so she, you apply? She, she's handed in her application. It makes it sound like there's a salary and a uniform. Maybe that's why you were never head boy, right. because you never applied. I never applied for it. No. But think of the privileges that you could get. Maybe you get um, a personal servant and a free cream slice from the tuck shop every Wednesday. <laughs> you did go to Hogwarts, didn't you? <laughs> you, really, you, you, are, you grew up in a J.K. Rowling novel. When asked to name and describe individuals you look up to, you may be horrified to hear that I included a certain film-watching, film-talking, quiff-rocking skiffle player and his partner in crime, Mr Mayo. Have I made a dire mistake? So... We're her inspiration. Sorry, is no, it, no, but, but is she, just, she's saying if she does, if she doesn't get it, it's our fault. I'm just saying, does she say David Morris? No, 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 we can't, no, no Edith, no, no. Just saying. Hmm? Uh, we should say hello to the Great British Bake Off contestant Flora Shedden. By the way, she's been uh, she's been on Twitter this week saying this is her favourite radio show. Really? And she listens to us while baking. That was a very creaky chair moment that you had there. Yeah, she could she could bake us a cake, bring it in, or something like that. Yeah, I like a cake. Uh, John Morris, uh, today's my first Friday of not listening live in 18 months. Great. Thanks very much. We just turn up. You switch off. Yeah. A long period of unemployment finally came. Oh, so it's a good thing. Finally came to an end on Monday and there's no radio in my office. Just want to say thanks for keeping me company on my trudges home from the job centre on Friday afternoons and keeping me somewhere near sane with YouTube clips and the show in general. Live streaming happening right now, by the way, via the Five Live website. So you can see quite how fabulous we are after the cruise. We'll hopefully be able to get to the cinema more now and catch up on the films I've missed. Excellent. And to anyone out there who's in the same situation, stay strong and positive and something will come along. Very good. Uh, very John, good. thank you very much. He's been listening you. since Radio 1 days. Wow. So uh, we're going to do the Box Office Top 10 now. Mm. Often when we've been away like forever, mm-hmm. um, there are a whole bunch of films that you haven't seen. And this is the case at the moment. Yeah, However, but, but, everything but, is covered but, by but, our finalists. They are, but let me explain what happened because um, so obviously I've seen Minions, as we know, um, I did see Mission Impossible. I saw, saw Inside Out before I left. I did a thing on the blog when I was away saying, look, of all the films that I've missed, what do I have to go and see? Give me a pithy answer. And and the thing that everyone said, I mean, it just came up time and time again. I think it's more through sort of sadism and things, was, was Pixels. So, you know, Ronnie Delespo said, I think you should see Pixels. This is purely because you always tell us you watch Adam Sandler films with an open mind. You never know, it could be Citizen Kane. And Weta and Dante said, I believe you should go and see Pixels because it's bound to make your top 10 worst of the year and it would be hypocritical to include it without having seen it. So... I have seen okay. Pixels. Well, we'll get to it in a moment. Uh, the box office top ten this week, uh, like this at ten, is The Gift. Which I wanted to see. I wanted to see that, but I was sent. Elliot in Cardiff has seen it. And if it weren't for Joel Edgerton's spectacular feature film debut, The Gift, I would have said that the summer 2015 film season has been a dull superhero flick followed by dull superhero flick. Imagine my surprise when this supremely confident and brilliantly written thriller reaffirmed my hope for modern cinema as the terrific performances and brooding tensions made for one of the most enjoyable popcorn thrillers of recent memory. memory one recent of memory? Best, yeah, one of the best of the year for sure. Yeah. Elliot and Carl. Yeah, I hear nothing but good things about it. Uh, Louis Kelly. The Gift was one of the most enjoyable and unnerving thrillers I've seen in cinema for a long time. I thought it was a brilliantly accomplished, accomplished directorial debut from Joel Edgerton, who also gave an incredibly well-rounded performance as the supremely unsettling Gordo. Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall were also great, and the ending absolutely turned my stomach. Uh, Chris McPherson. 
Uh, saw the gift last week. Appears to be a standard stalker chiller movie, but thanks to a really cleverly written script and superb work from Jason Bateman and Joel Edgerton, whose writing and directorial work here marks him out as a filmmaker of real promise, end up messing with your expectations for the film. The ending is potentially divisive, but I think how you interpret it comes down to whether or not you truly believe in how good or bad these characters really are. So that sounds like one. Yeah, no, I, and, and I would have loved to have seen that rather than Pixels. Uh, we don't. We haven't got to pixels. No, but I'm just saying. I would if I, that was if I was allowed to choose, but I wasn't. So at number nine is uh, absolutely anything. Jason Rose on this. I saw Abs Evs. He's abbreviated to Abs Evs, but I'm not sure that works if it's called absolutely anything. Everything. Oh, anything. Abs ends. No, it doesn't work. Let's just call it what it's called. Mm-hmm. I saw it last night with my 11 year old son, who's a big Simon Pegg and Python fan. It was. Enjoyable enough, and Peg is his usual likeable self. I thought it was a British Bruce Almighty without the shouting of Jim Carrey. My son reckons <laughs> it was much better than Pixels. Bruce Almighty without the shouting of Jim Carrey, that's very good. Um, dear Pommy Bowler and Aussie Batsman, uh, this didn't pass the six laugh test, says Simon Walkden in Finchley. Not for me personally, but around the room, it may just have crawled over that mark if I add all the chuckles I heard. My overall fe- feeling was that this was quite a weary piece. It takes on the subjects of understanding good and evil, godlike powers, the consequent compromise of free will, and the intractability of human problems, but firmly demands to remain an amiable com- comedy. So these subjects are trivialised while the comedy is lost. There's a touch of Douglas Adams about the narrative, and so the best that can be said about the film is that it is mostly harmless. Okay, very Nicely good. Done. Very Thank good. Very well done. Uh, Minions is at number eight. So well, you've yeah. seen this. I mean, I, I continue to find it funny. Seen it three times, laughed every single time. I was delighted by the story recently that um, whilst travelling on a liner, child had a had a fart blaster gun removed from him because yeah. it, it contravened regulations. You can, but I, what was funny about that was that everybody in the world tweeted me that story. And yes, and me. Oh, it's fine. Okay, yeah. But so, so I'm, I am a, pr- a proud, and I, it's, it's odd. People who don't like minions get very cross about somebody liking minions, and I, every now and then we go, "Oh, how dare you! How dare you like minions?" Because it's really funny, really consistently funny all the way through. And when you in- uh, interviewed Peter Coffin, as he called himself, Pierre Coffin, he, was, I thought he was really charming and funny, and uh, I love the film. I, 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 you can sort of understand. I've just gone through quite a lot of airport security, obviously the last few days. You can, I can understand why anything. Yeah, no, I that looks like is. the fart gun does. <laughs> you, you would be sort of casually suspicious of, but when you press the press the trigger and it goes and it farts, you can think, okay, that's it's probably fine. Yeah. Anyway, maybe someone with more expertise can help us out on that. Southpaw is at number seven. Yeah. Now I haven't seen this, but um, a member of the family, teenage member of the family, did go and see it and said it was absolutely ace. Uh, Jonas Govarts, director of recent Belgian horror Cub, mm-hmm. reviewed on the show a couple of weeks ago, says, Southpaw, cliche-ridden, faux-gritty, raging bull wannabe that emphasises its figurative and literal knockouts with a bass drone so loud and low the sound system of my local theatre simply couldn't handle it. <laughs> All I heard was something like an extended wet fart, which sadly sums up most of the movie. OK, well, there we go. Point, but counterpoint. Worth a watch for the all-out performance by Jake Gyllenhaal. That's pretty much it. He's, okay. he's usually worth watching. He is. Fantastic Four. Or Fanforstic. That's, hey. that's how it's written, Fanforstic. If you say so. Gary says, uh, 
Dear Act 1 and Act 2. Putting it simply, this film severely lacks an Act 3. For a superhero yeah, movie, that's quite possibly the best bit. I was dragged to see Bang Average 4 as my father, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as it was his birthday. We call it that, Bang Average 4. He still loves awakening his inner teen days by seeing these big Marvel beer moths. I was ready to give it a fair chance. Sadly, when the end credits rolled, I looked around with utter confusion. Is, is that the start or the end? He laughed and said, no, that's it, that's the end. I couldn't believe it. We'd sat through a long, dull, unbelievably fla unbelievable flashback sequence to a long, dull, unbelievable <laughs> meaning of everyone flash. getting their power sequence. Then Toby Kebbell arrived. The film finally grabbed my attention and it ended. Eh? What committee ruined this movie? Why did they not want to explore their characters' powers and fight evil in the same way as they got their powers? It's not as if Spider-Man just got his powers and then went to bed. <laughs> it's horrendous. OK. Says Gary. Well, then I might not catch up with that. I'll have yeah. to at some point. Well, though. maybe try Trainwreck. Go ahead. Trainwreck says Martin Eden in London was very funny, also unexpectedly sad and romantic. Nice to see a movie that surprises you and refreshing to see something that is slightly un-PC. I do think the story development that pops up right in the middle of the film is a tad too heavy. Also amusing to watch the movie in a cinema where the women and men laugh at different types of jokes and a slight air of awkwardness and discomfort. Paul Madden saw Trainwreck yesterday. After the first ten minutes, I knew what we were in for. This is a bad movie that had some good jokes very sparingly sprinkled throughout. It had scenes that were too long and pointless and really felt like filler. It felt like Amy Schumer had some jokes and tried desperately to thread a story through them. It was like someone said to Amy, go on, give it a go, write a movie. I did laugh, but it was such a long wait until the next good one. I was also distracted by how bad it was that I noticed how bad the editing and the sound were as well. So anyway, unconvinced. Now, how about The Man From U.N.C.L.E.? So, I have to say, I was a huge Man From U.N.C.L.E. fan. Have you been? Have you seen the film? No, no, I haven't seen oh, the right, film. Oh, right, so not, huge, not, was... not a huge enough fan to go and see the film. On the T... Well, I, they weren't showing it in France, and I was too busy in Scotland. Have you been en France? I've been in France. Le homme de Uncle. No? <laughs> oh, I see, you're translating The Man From U.N.C.L.E. Yeah. That's very impressive. L'homme... I had, I had a Man From U.N.C.L.E. Uh, triangular badge... Did you? ...pinned to the inside of my school blazer. I bet you did. Yeah. In Hogwarts. That's right, where it was allowed. <laughs> and we all thought that Ilya Kuryakin was pretty cool. Yeah. Ben Lingming has been to see it. I've only been to see a, a, a few Guy Ritchie films before. Never seen nor heard of the source material before watching this. I really enjoyed it. The pacing of the entire film was slow enough that the protagonists and villains were well fleshed out, but fast enough that I wasn't in any way bored. The clever use of depth of field trickery really allowed quiet moments of the film to breathe, as some of the more intense moments. I'm thinking of two particular scenes with a boat and a chair were understated. That didn't sound very exciting, but obviously if you've seen it, the boat and the chair scene. You can say that about Jaws, that bit with the boat and the chair. That doesn't sound exciting. But then if actually you remember the scene with the boat and the chair, it's very exciting. <laughs> I haven't seen many films recently that do this to the same effect. The accents were also incredible, so easy to be distracted by an awful Russian accent. I thought uh, Army Hammers was spot on. Thank you, Ben. Uh, James, on this uh, email, as a diehard Bond fan, perhaps I was in the wrong mood entering the screening. The posters proclaiming Bond's brand of spy antics to be inferior. Unfortunately, I have to disagree. While Rich's film is entertaining enough, it never quite got into its stride. Instead, we are left with a script that clunks with double entendres and little else. Action scenes poorly staged or lacking in pace and characters that lack pizzazz. While it's a far reach from Rich's lad mag sensibilities of old, it still feels outdated, even with a spirited performance from Vikander. Do you want another one? Uh, yes. yes. No, I, sorry, I thought you meant another film. Or do you want another one of Man from Uncle? I, I really want to get to Inside Out. OK, I'll just put these to one side and come back to L'Homme d'Oncle in a moment. Very good. So at number three, 
It's Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. So, which I now see, it was about a f- however many three or four weeks ago now that I saw it, and um, actually I thought it was fine. I, I thought some some critics were sort of very down it. I thought it was fine. It was it is you know exactly what you're going to get. I think Chris McQuarrie did a decent job of directing it. The action sequences are pretty spectacular. But what was odd about it was that I saw it very shortly after having seen the uh, the Tom Cruise the, sorry pardon me the Scientology documentary, which includes that famous bit of you know Tom Cruise doing the talking about Scientology. And it's so, I, I, you know, my sort of, my Tom Cruise alarm bells were, were sort of set to go, but about five minutes in, I was perfectly fine. He, I mean, he, it's, it's an extraordinary longevity to that series. You know, you go back to the Brian De Palma, it's just continued to do pretty much the same thing, increased, you know, cranking up the, the spectacle each time. Always been quite fun. The minute the music kicks in, you're perfectly, it's, at, it's a popcorn movie. It didn't bother me for one second after I'd left the cinema. But I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it, and I and I actually I liked Tom Cruise in it, which is which which was all the more remarkable because having just seen Going Clear, I was all set to be sort of you know to be a bit rattled by it. And I wasn't at all. So uh, Inside Out is at number two. Before you speak, uh, this is from Scott and Wee Barrington Bennett in Edinburgh. Welcome back. Disgust, anger, joy, sadness, fear, and Simon. I'm looking for that makes you all of the others. Yeah, all the others. I am looking forward to the top ten this week. I'm sure you'll feel pressure to pass over Inside Out as it now has a relative geriatric of it's the relative geriatric of the chart, but please don't. We really, no, really want to hear your train of thought on this masterpiece. My three year old was so taken with the fireman, he presses all the buttons and goes rah, rah. and the rest of the gang that Inside Out marked a cinematic first for him, the first inside outside back inside to watch it again film of his tiny cineast career. A film that really leaves you joyful at watching it and tinge with sadness that it's over. Totes emotion, amazeballs. Uh, thank you, Scott. Well, we haven't glossed over it because here it is. I thought it was really remarkable and I've seen it three times now and, you know, to which the argument, well, why didn't you go and spend that time seeing, you know, seeing other films? Because it's really that good. You start off with the with the short level, which is just wonderful. You know, two volcanoes singing to each other and somehow manages to be heartbreaking and lyrical so even before the main feature starts because they're in lava because they're in lava yeah you've seen it haven't you mm-hmm. got fun okay and then it starts and you know you think okay well i know some of those ideas from numbskulls and then three minutes in it's nothing like numbskulls at all it's what's what's brilliant about it and people have sort of said this to me before people have said you know be prepared to laugh be prepared to cry it's it's really really engrossing and multi-layered in the way of toy story 3 or something like that which of course you and i both had so i just thought it was I mean, not only is it moving and funny and a joy to watch, and uh, actually, I have to say the you know, 2D projection when I saw it looked absolutely beautiful. It's really insightful about the the difficulties of adolescence, the difficulties of childhood. It does a brilliant job of describing what it's like to be a child at that moment when things start to change, and you know joy suddenly goes AWOL and actually your emotions are... I love the personification, the idea of, you know, anger and disgust and sadness fighting for control of a personality. I thought they did a brilliant job of working with why sadness is important. Um, I can't hear anybody saying, you know, who's very likely to play bing bong, bing bong without shivering all over. And I also, from a parent's point of view, I th- it was it was every bit as deep as I said. The best thing about it is it's... It's not just that it's a great movie that works really well and moves you. I was in floods of tears. I mean, absolutely floods of really? tears. Yeah. No, I mean, not not just like by the. Th- not, I suppose I'm not surprised. By the third time, I w- it, it was all I could do to you know to wipe my face dry before the lights went up. It was I w- I was thought it was re- and there's been some talk amongst film critics that this is the first possible 
uh, case of an animated film that might actually win Best Film, that might actually win Best Picture at the Oscars. And, you know, I have to say, I think that I think there is an outside chance. I know everybody says, no, it's just near the Oscars. They're nowhere near getting getting that advance. But it's just so good. It's so rich. It's so intelligent and funny and charming and moving and beautifully done. I think it might just leap over that hurdle and finally be the thing that gets the Academy to wake up. I thought it was love. Did you not love it? No, I thought, I thought it was, I, well, I don't cry in movies and I didn't no, no, cry in this don't. one, but it is, it, oh. it, it is a fabulous piece of work. I just want to say a number of things. Yeah. First of all, I don't think it's really a children's film. I mean, it's clear. Well, in the same way that Toy Story 3 isn't really a children's but he, film. But, but more so, because there's that section where it goes really surreal for a few minutes when they go into particular part of the brain. And I can, they become and, abstract. And all the kids go, what? What is happening now? I have no... I, what, what is surreal? What does that mean? And that whole section where if you're five, maybe you're just going to hang on and wait before it becomes normal again. Yeah. But it, it is genuinely brilliant. I do think the trailer is slightly misleading because it makes you think it's funnier. It is funny, but it's also very serious. Yeah, yeah. And that bit where you're going in different heads. Yes. Uh, which is our, which is actually which only really happens yeah. at that moment. There's a gag at the end. Yeah. But, but yeah. I, and and one of the party that I went with said I wanted more of that. I wanted to be in other people's heads. Oh really? As opposed to just the girl. Anyway. Okay. I, thought it, I did. I did think it was really terrific, and I wouldn't be, at all be surprised if it's quite advanced neuroscience as well so that when they do the trip around the brain that is actually how the brain yeah, is Yeah well there's there's, so. there's an awful lot written about you know how they they, they were they were basing up properly so they knew what they were talking about. I mean, the thing about it is it, it just rings true it just that whole conceit of you know joy is off lost somewhere and anger and disgust and sadness are fighting for control of your emotions and it ends up with you banging your hands on the table and your dad saying go to your room it just I thought it was I thought it was really insightful and profound and beautiful and lovely and I love it. Uh so we'll do some we ought, we ought to do some pixels. Yeah. Pixels isn't number one. Do I go first? Well, yeah. Okay. So I went to see Pixels um because I was told to go and see Pixels. And there's been an awful lot of stuff about how how hatefully terrible Pixels is. Um and there's been um you know it's got quite a lot of rantage about how awful it is. It is rubbish. Um I mean it is it is rubbish. The most I think the most uh, the, the thing about that's most important is it, there's there's nothing to get annoyed about because it's just so boring. And what I was surprised by is that Chris Columbus could have made a film that was so inept. I mean, for a start, it looks like it's five edits away from anything that makes any sense at all. There's a gag at the beginning when you get Adam Sandler and Kevin James, a man who has yet to make me laugh, in which they're saying, you know, they're, they're comparing uh, pop stars that they fancy. And Adam Sandler says, oh, we shouldn't be doing this at our age. And he says, yeah. And then Kevin James says something. He says, yeah, because you, you know, you've got a wife at home who hates you. And then we meet the wife and she doesn't hate him. And it's just like that gag related to a whole different film. And then we get into the thing about everything that you've seen before from, you know, short movies from the internet and uh, the ideas of Wreck-It Ralph and a bunch of uh, numerous other features. But none of it hangs together because even the action sequences don't seem to be thought through in any logical way. Sandler is the least of its problems. He is just Sandler. He's just... Adam Sandler just doing that. Adam is less repugnant than he's been in some films. Just boring. Kevin James staggeringly unfunny. Peter Dinklage amazingly awful, which is really surprising because Peter Dinklage is one of the finest actors working in cinema at the moment. I mean, he's an, just a brilliant mercurial talent who can do pretty much anything but couldn't raise this. But it's not, you know, it's, it's not worth getting annoyed about because you just sit there and just think this is just so dull, so uneventful so 
badly played out that when, you know, space invaders start invading from space, the government just go, oh, yeah, fine. Uh, well, there we go. Let's get the cars. At no point. I mean, I know everyone says, OK, well, it's a film about computer games and Pac-Man invading the Earth. So you can't expect it to make sense. But the, things have to have internal logic. Inside Out has brilliant internal logic. And it's the numbskulls, right? But it has brilliant internal logic. This is ripped off of a whole bunch of other things, all of which made more sense, didn't laugh, wasn't excited, didn't think it was in any way interesting, but, 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 crucially, wasn't furiously angry at it. Just really bored. I mean, really... Really bored. Really bored. Really bored. Really... Super bored. Properly bored. Totes bored. Totes. Uh, this is BBC Radio 5 Live. It's, uh, it's 21 minutes to 3 o'clock. Uh, let's, uh, there's a bit of a hiatus in the studio here. Are you all right there, Mark? I'm fine, What yes. are you up to? I was just sorting out um, so Tom, Tom, Tom Courtney's headphones. Tom Courtney controlling could, my volume. Tom, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Simon. You're very welcome to the programme. Before and, uh, we... Mark, not Frank. Exactly. I've, 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 I've already let him down on two fronts. He said, are you related to Frank? I said, no. Know anything about sport? No. But, but Alison, I could fix the headphones. Alison <laughs> yes, Mitchell he does, done. and Alison Mitchell is at the final test at the Oval, and so Tom's going to be listening very closely to this because he likes his cricket. Alison, there's a wicket. There is. Uh, Steve Smith is out for a 143. He was trying to get oh, a move on. All? Yes, that's all. <laughs> could have done a bit better. Can he could have matched the double hundred he got at Lords. He's done a good job for his country here. They played on to Stephen Finn, just trying to hurry things up for Australia. Uh, but the eighth wicket's fallen for a record for Australia for the eighth wicket at the Oval. 91 runs he and Mitchell wow. Stark have put on. Yeah. Stark is still there on 50, uh, but 467 for eight now, the Australian score. Uh, you, you, you follow this a lot, Tom, don't you? Because you were at Lords. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Very nice it was up in the. President, no, the chairman's box. Yeah, lovely. But I was sorry this time that Clark didn't get any runs. I wouldn't begrudge him if the odd fifth. Look, I have no idea. I have no idea. Talking about showbiz quickly. No, no, that's fine. You can't carry on with the sport. I will just sit back and then we'll yeah. talk about the film and then I will leap no, I forward. I think I prefer to talk about the sport. Well, I was, was going to say, it, I do get the feeling that you would far rather talk about Hull City and a little bit of cricket than actually talking about your own movie. Yes. Well, I have been talking about it a lot this, this week, so that's, that's uh, not surprising. Well, we shall, uh, we, we'll update you on any... But I'm happy to talk about it again, if that's what you want. I'm just here to do as I'm told. Is it, does it happen more now than before? I mean, when you made a film, you know, before, in the past, mm. did you always then have to go out and do the interview circuit? So you said, I've, I've talked about it a lot, I'm a bit talked yeah. out. Is this a recent phenomenon, or has it always been so. the case? I don't, don't remember doing it, but maybe I've just forgotten. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ian McKellen was on the show just a couple of months ago talking about the Mr Holmes movie, and that's, yeah. that's what he was saying. In, in the old days, you'd make a movie, that, and that was it, and gone, and then you move on to the next one, and, yeah. and, and that's fantastic. But now you just have to keep on talking yes, about I it. Yes, I know. But you must be thrilled because this movie um, has got a lot of people very excited. We should say what it is. 45 years. That's right, obviously. Yes. Oh, I was just, sorry, I was filling in. I can't say I'm upset about it, can I? <laughs> Well, upset that people are talking about it. No, so I can't say that, because I'm not. No. Uh, it, <laughs> it hasn't come out yet. So. Next week. And it comes out next week. So, yeah. tell it, so uh, Tom, give us the, the story. So uh, you and Charlotte Rampling, you're a Norfolk-based couple, and you're mm. leading up to your 45th yes, anniversary. Yes, it's a few days before they're celebrating their 45th anniversary. And she brings in the post, and it contains a letter from Switzerland, which he opens, and he finds out that he's... Girlfriend, who was 
who died in the mountains because she fell 50 years before that her body has been found in the ice down there. They can see it because, presumably, he has to go and look up some words in the German dictionary. Oh, global warming, that's what it means. It's global warming. Gosh, and there she is down there. And it's for him, it uh, brings back uh, his youth. And, gosh, 50 years, there she is. What does he say? She looked like she did in 1962, and I look like this. <laughs> and it sort of uh, stops him in his tracks. And when he should be helping his wife Kate with uh, the preparations, he's just away up there in the mountains uh, with his beloved of 50 years ago and uh, it's rather inconvenient the timing and the wife's sympathetic at first but she's more and more he seems to be affected by it it's as though she's come to life again they're haunted she's haunting them both anyway they get through to the to the the anniversary and he, he pulls himself together They've had their various ups and downs and tribulations and discussions and feelings about it, you know. Well, should we hear a, a clip from the film? What <clears throat> happens is that she doesn't realise at first just how significant this relationship may or may not be. And then she wonders why it is that he's been informed. And he tells her that the reason is because he is registered as the girl's next of kin. Why? Why what? Well, why were you her next of kin? Because they thought we were married. Who did? The authorities, people. What made them think that? We we told them we were. You weren't, though? Oh, no, 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 hell no. We we just had to pretend so that people would let us stay in their houses. Different in those days, Kate. And then, after the accident... You're not lying to me. No, Kate... She wore a ring on her finger. It was a small wooden ring, like a curtain ring, made of oak. I need to remember that. It wasn't real. What I loved about that whole set, I mean, we're obviously not giving anything, this is the first five minutes of the first five minutes of the movie, is this idea that this kind of bombshell has gone off mm. in their marriage, but it... It, that it shouldn't matter because this is something that happened before they met. Before your relationship yeah, started with Charlotte Rambling. Yeah, but the strange thing is, it shouldn't matter, but it does. There's something about the power of the image of the girl down there. They can see her in the ice. There's something about that image that's is disturbing. That was pretty much the only thing uh, Andrew took from from the short story, which is really, really very very short, about ten pages. It was that idea of the of the frozen young woman. The fact that she would she looks like she did in nineteen sixty two. Yeah, and, and I look like this. <laughs> and what then happens is that as as the importance of the relationship starts to be revealed, your character, the husband, seems to withdraw into himself. He becomes secretive. He spends time in the attic looking for photographs. Mm. And this apparently idyllic marriage that's leading up to this glorious celebration, 45 years, he didn't celebrate 40 because your character had been ill. Mm-hmm. Suddenly all these schisms, these fractures in their relationship yeah. start to appear. Yeah. And that's that's basically the story, isn't it? That It's a, 
and it's all with with the tiniest gestures. They don't, it's not rouse. It's not great revelations. It's all to do with everything being very yeah, understated. There's a lot of feeling, but it um, sort of quite deep down. Anyway, they do manage to make it to to the to the celebration, and, and uh, you know they have a bit of a row. I mean, are you going to come? Are you going to go? And, are you going to go there? Switzerland? <laughs> what you say? I can't. I can't walk to the village without stopping to draw a breath. I'm not going to get up an effing mountain. <laughs> I wonder if um, um, we should talk about the way it's uh, the way it's been directed because you lo- you've always loved theatre, uh, Tom, and uh, you uh, have been involved in so many extraordinary performances. I just wonder if one of the tricks that uh, the young director Andrew Haig did was that he he gave you space, and I wonder. I mean, we're talking about the end of the movie, but in the vaguest terms, when you're making your speech, oh yeah, it, that, that it, it was, felt um, felt quite theatrical. And well, I was I was shown it before um, I saw the film because they wanted me to put on a few lines uh, off camera while, while the camera then moved to to Charlotte about the speech. In fact, he didn't use them. So Tristan, our producer, showed me the speech, and, and apart from a wide shot, very wide in which I was very emotional. I thought, oh, hell, I've used up all my emotion. Um, apart from that little clip, I mean, I just pick up the microphone and I say, uh, can you hear me? You know, oh, i better talk sense then, you know. And then it moves in. But from then on, there are no cutaways. It's just me, my timing, my stopping because I'm upset or I make a little joke or carry on. And so that for once, there's no editing. Because then he was an editor, but then he said, well... This is your party piece, I suppose, and I was very touched when I saw that. I, I, I can't um, say any other. But in fact, I mean, I'm surprised. For much of the film, those key scenes, because it's almost a two-hander between you and Charlotte Rampling, and for much of the film, those key scenes do seem to play out without edits. We get single shots held for a long time. Yes, we he, get two he, shots of, you know, both actors yeah, together. Yeah, it's mostly, he did say he prefers two shots. Um, there won't be many close-ups. I speak a lot when I'm uh, off camera. It doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to make any difference. <laughs> and from an actor's point of view... Sometimes we both of us got our back to the camera. It's just... Uh, but he has a very good eye and it just it makes it all seem very natural. I just want to make an, just an observation. The music is really important all the way through the movie. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Not just Charlotte Rampling playing the... Uh, Playing the piano beautifully with a creaky, with a fantastically creaky stool, but the music that is being chosen for your dance together, mm. the music that is being chosen, like the playlist to, to be played, it's it's, a, it's, it's yeah. beautiful. Well, that we did that last dance. Andrew said yesterday about ten times. I said you can double that, Andrew, because I remember at least we went up to twenty takes, and um, I think it may have been twenty-one <laughs> before he was satisfied. But the strange thing is, my feet were aching. But uh, my eyes moistened every time, and I think that's the power of the music and the story, and he feels he's got through his crisis and now he knows he loves her. And, There's also a scene uh, quite early on when you're not quite sure what's happened, and he is telling his wife for the first time he's describing the event, and he says that um, that his girlfriend walked on ahead and she walked on ahead with a guide that he found yeah, yeah, yeah. annoying. And um, and there's a suggestion, they, then they go round about and he doesn't see her, and there's a suggestion that maybe something strange happened. And then the, the choice of music is, oddly enough, Stagger Lee, which is the story of two men having, uh, an, having an argument. Oh, well, and, and, that. Exactly. But that bit of writing is from of Andrew's imagining that his account of her death. Yeah. 
I thought it was wonderful. I know where he got it from. I can't think. Cause they picked up a guide who spoke German, as she did, and so he felt excluded and they were making jokes. She was flirting with the guide. And they go round the corner and he says, and the last thing but one that I heard was her laughter. And Christ, did it, I don't know if he says, annoy me, upset me. But then there was a scream. And it's that's that putting in of the last thing but one. And then the last thing, she's gone. I mean, you think about it, you think, well, perhaps maybe he was better off without her. She was flirting with the guide already. I only thought that for the first time yesterday. But I thought that was wonderful writing. I love doing it. One of the one of the many charms of the film, uh, I think, is that it is it is a movie about ageing, but it's not about dementia. It's not no. a, it's not about <laughs> silly old people. No, but, got, it, no. but it is certainly about growing old and uh, an established relationship and regrets and. Mm. Yeah, well. Uh, you know, the various things, but obviously if one works, one's going to be playing old people. But to have a sort of romantic old person and, and be believed it's a, would be on my wildest dreams because I'm torn between the two of them. It's a young girl of 19 and my beloved wife. No, I, don't, I think it's all right, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that... And uh, Dustin Hoffman came on the show a few years ago to talk about quartet. Yeah. Um, and that there was, I mean, I know it's a very Dustin, a, yes. <laughs> it's a very it different. Makes me laugh just thinking about him. Why? Why well, he was very funny. He said, "Okay, we're ready. Time to get self-conscious and nervous." <laughs> <laughs> that was his. That was, that was that was his directorial debut. So yeah, maybe was, maybe he was, was getting jokes nervous all the time. All the time. Was he good like to work jokes. with? Yeah, terrific. Like jokes. And him and Maggie were wonderful together. Oh, just one more take. Well, not another take, Dustin. <laughs> but that movie, but that movie again, obviously was. That was a very good Maggie Smith, isn't it? It was uncanny. I, th- I felt like she was in the room with us. <laughs> but very, you know, and a very, very different movie. But also a film that was genuinely about, or you felt as though it was D- about getting yes, old. Yes, I know. The funny thing, Dustin poured the makeup on me. For Dustin, I was the juvenile lead. Beverly. She was uh, the continuity, uh, the makeup girl. Be- think Beverly Hills. Beverly, and it under marks under my skin, a scarf under my chin, a line down my nose, <laughs> rouge. I'm into lot because I was the juvenile lead, and of course I loved it. Yeah. But I think actually my appearance in this, actually looking the other day, and who is it? Jeremy Corbyn, is it? There, like there is him. a Jeremy Corbyn. And yes. He's, he's, you know, he's a bit left wing, isn't he, Jeff? A bit like your so character in the right. movie, actually. To some extent, I, but I did look like a bit like him. Well, I, I can see that. But actually, is it, I mean, I, I have read that one of the things that you, uh, as soon as you agree to a project, that the most important thing that you need to get right are your glasses. This is something that you'll have oh, in I'm common obsessed. with Mark. Yeah, I've still got my glasses. I'm wearing the same glasses. That I, and also, the trouble is you have to have two pairs. So, and you, I like them in, <laughs> in my prescription so I can see what's going on. Around the set, you know, yes. a nice young thing comes and bring you a cup of tea. You like to be able to see her. So you have to have your prescription made. You have to have a special stuff, anti-reflection you know, on them. And you have two pairs. So they've got to be chosen early so you can get the two pairs made up. And So that's, the, that's one of the very first things to finding a character is finding the right pair of glasses. Well, for me, yeah. For Alec Guinness, I always said, you started with his shoes. <laughs> I just get the right pair of shoes. But you're not a shoe but, man yourself. No, oh, I have lots of shoes. Oh, you do? I love oh, yeah. shoes. 
I'm a Piscean, so I, Pisces rules the feet. So, I, you know, Sorry, I, think, I don't quite This is like an shoes. education. I have. But, no, you see, Pisces rule the feet? In, yes. Explain. I thought Pisces was fish. No, no. Yes, but they still rules the feet. Fish don't have feet. Well, I don't. Do you, do, look it up. Mark, no, but I, I don't need Mark, to look up whether fish have feet. I can tell you no, for a no, fact Pisces that fish don't rules have... the feet. Okay. Aries the, rules the forehead, I think. Right. Taurus, the chest. Right. Scorpio. Yes, the, yes, yes. <laughs> but they are the just, rock, yeah, just rocks in space. They're just they rocks are, in space. Yeah. You, don't, you, you don't actually believe any of that. Well, I know I like shoes. I yes, like that's Pisces. fine. That's fine. So I, I there will... may be a connection. And, and of course, know, fish can't say <laughs> many years ago had feet, maybe. <laughs> that's how they crawled out of the ocean. <laughs> and exactly. And then we got well, March of the Penguins and that all ended very badly. Yeah. Can I... Can we just ask you, Sir Tom, just very briefly? You can ask me whatever you like. I may not know the answer. No, but that's another matter. Well, Toby Jones was was on the show just a few months ago, and I Captain think, Mannering. That's right. Yes, and my friend, and we had so, just had it, were they just about to start? They were just about to start. Yes, you, it's all yeah. done now, isn't it? And he had it's the moustache. He had the moustache, and yeah. he was clearly very, very excited about what. What yeah. can you, I mean? I think this is coming out in February. February. Is it? There's a trailer not, that, that's out, which is very. To talk about it. Okay. Well, what can you tell us? Well, my favourite thing was. We had one scene where we all waved bye-bye, bye, to the spy lady. Yeah. So bye, and to start, Toby started doing, like when you take people on a ride, and then they're not all there, but they know how to say, to say bye-bye. So they'd go, bye, bye-bye, bye. So we spent a lot of the time saying bye-bye to one another. And just for people that you're, you're, you're Godfrey. No, Corporal no, Jones. No, 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 I can't button. remember which... Michael no, Gambon is called. Oh, I beg your pardon. Sorry. See, this no, is. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. What was he called? Jonesy. Yes, Jonesy. you are. Yes, you are. You're. 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 Jack you're, 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 you're now Jonesy. telling Tom what character he's just played. No, no. I'm I just haven't. asking because I haven't seen the film because nobody has because it's a blanket of secrecy. All yeah, I know I'm is what Toby Jones talks about. I'm not allowed to say anything, except I loved one, one of uh, Toby's expressions when we were trying to rehearse a bit, and he said it's like throwing mud at a wall. Ah, oh, no, you can't understand that, can you? What, some well, of it I'm will not stick. Sure I can now. You mean... Well, I just took, you know, rehearsing. Some, you throw it at the wall and a bit might stick on the wall. <laughs> Most of it slides down to the bottom. But I, I just it caught my fancy. I mean, it must have, because I remembered it. And it was months ago. Was okay. it fun to do? Oh, sorry. sorry. No, 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 it's the exactly the question was I was going to ask. The elements were against us all the time. But nobody could complain, because if one did, the others thought he was a sissy. So, you know. uh, so, so Tom, we appreciate you coming in. Thank you very much indeed for your time. It's been my pleasure, and you've been responsible for two Australian wickets. So that's a, you know been a fabulous thing for us. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you Tom Courtney's movie, uh, Forty Five Years, opens next yeah. week. Uh, Tom, thank you very much indeed for coming in. Thank you. Thank uh, this you. is Five Live. We have another hour of movie conversation. Mark, what are you going to be doing in the next hour? Wolfpack, Bad Education, uh, Vacation, Good People, Dance of Reality and more. And you can get involved. Email Simon Mayo at bbc.co.uk and you can text 85058. And one thing we have learnt in the last 20 minutes is that when they make the movie of the Labour leadership battle, that Tom Courtney, He's with a beard, play. is going to be Jeremy Corbyn. Yes. <laughs> and there you go. And also the thing Very that we've fine, learnt be too. is that Pisces, Pisces rules the feet. feet. What is that? I've got no I idea. I don't understand. I have no idea. How can Pisces... There were elements... There were points in that conversation when when I, I I found entire vistas of new knowledge were opening up well, to me. Knowledge in inverted commas. Yes. Maybe... <laughs> 
But I don't. Have you heard that about no, Pisces? Of course not. The feet? No, I mean because I need. Of course not. I need two reasons. New shoes, and yeah. I, now I'm confused. But Maybe I haven't I heard should... it for two reasons. One, because I haven't heard it, and secondly, because it's all nonsense. Yes, I, I, I realise that. But maybe if you need some advice for footwear, maybe Pisces is the person to ask. Yeah. If that indeed is, is that a thing? I don't know. Can I just mention uh, just the Pixels conversation, which was happening yeah. a, a while back, just before we move on to yes. to new stuff, because there's an interesting and daring email. Go on. Here from John C. Duff, LLB, LLM. I have a terrible feeling that this email will be dismissed as lunacy. No, okay, go ahead. Nevertheless, I'm writing to let you know how much I enjoyed Pixels. Okay. And I enjoyed it more than Inside Out. I've actually been quite shocked how negative the reviews for Pixels have been. It's meant to be an adventure movie, fun for all the family, and it fulfills that promise as far as I'm concerned. I'm not particularly an Adam Sandler fan. I enjoyed his early movies, but I think this is a massive improvement on his last 10 years of work, especially when compared to Inside Out, which has received rave reviews, which which I found to be mawkish, depressing, and actually a movie about bad parenting. The parents from Inside Out seem to be wittertainees. How do you move your young daughter across the country to another city? You just move your young daughter across the city to another country to another city i hope these views won't result in my excommunication from the church of entertainment all views are welcome it's that's certainly a radical opinion and one which i i think i can quite definitively say is wrong but you know should we turn the hounds of social media against this person no because you know it's a, a well it's the trend it's what people do these days is it okay well they're vilified for disagreeing with everybody else okay well let's buck that trend yes and uh, no trend. And welcome john thank john, you very thank you very yes. much um what i would like to say on the subject of pixels is that the thing that surprised me most about it is you know chris columbus who i have described in the past as a bean counter and i've always said that the thing with chris columbus is that he's a you know methodical director but somebody who for me lacks imaginative vim and verve and i remember having um an argument with Jason Isaacs about this. Um, a very hello, well, Jason. Hello, Jason. A very well-natured argument in which Jason said, "You just don't know what you're talking about. You think <laughs> that um, imagine that you know you think that what he's doing is a bean counter and he's an accountant. And he does the things by the you know by the book, but he doesn't. Actually, he's incredibly open and imaginative and fluid. And of course, Jason had a very very good experience working with him. What's really strange about Pixels is that it's all over the shop. It doesn't even have, in my opinion, that kind of tab A into slot B, everything done mechanically, methodically, working as a well-oiled, if unimaginative machine. It just looks like a shambles. And I can only imagine that at some point there was an assembly of it that just did not work. And they went in and they tested and they retested and they recut because it just looks like it's all over the place and the bit the biggest surprise for me was not that that chris columbus had turned in something that was you know uh unimaginative and um, dreary and uh you know just franchisable but it's that he turned in a movie that was actually poorly made and as i said as some person i've always previously had down as a, as a bean counter as an accountant as somebody who was just literally watching the numbers i was genuinely surprised by how badly put together pixels is and with this, the result that it's boring this by the way yeah it's your chair charlotte rampling's piano stool that's what i'm <laughs> that is, that's what i'm saying by the way uh, news from for, from the edinburgh fringe which is uh, where I've been, Al Murray, by the way, just re- with reference to the uh, social media uh, stuff we were just alluding to. Mm. Uh, Al Murray, friend of this program, presented yes. this program yeah. uh, in the past. Uh, whenever anyone says something that uh, he disagrees with, he just shouts, Tory! <laughs> <laughs> Tory! So, so I think John Duff's email, that's what you should do. As soon as there's a view there, that you Tory! That's what you are. Anyway, so uh, I don't think that's too controversial. No. Uh, tell us something that's brand new. Oh, apparently it is. Yes. Okay. Labour. 
<laughs> yeah, Lib Dem. Scottish Demma, National Party. Plaid Cymria. That doesn't work, does it? Mac um, Bannon. Just one week, by the way. It may well be that as you're listening to us, you're just doing the finishing touches to your well done new entry. I imagine you probably are doing that. Just one week left to submit it. The closing date is next Friday, August the 28th. It's at 6 p.m., Mark. Don't don't forget that. I won't forget that. In case anyone asks you in the street. I'll say. All the information. I'm just saying 6 p.m. Yeah, 6 p.m. on okay. Friday. Uh, all the information is on the webpage, bbc.co.uk slash well done you. That's the letter U, not the pronoun. bbc.co.uk slash well done you. Just one more week. Get the finishing okay. touches in there. Go ahead, Mark. Tell us something that we might want to. Sinister get. 2, which, as the sequel suggests, as the title suggests, is the sequel to Sinister 1, 2012's Sinister. Um, it, actually, there's an interesting thing about Sinister. So, Sinister had Ethan Hawke as a true crime writer who was desperately in need of another hit, who moves his family, unbeknownst to them, into a house in which something terrible has happened. He then uncovers a stash of snuff movies in the attic. These are like Super 8 films, which, when played, have a demonic quality, and the demon Bagul is uh, behind it all. Demon who? Bagul. Is that how you... That is how you... Why you, you, you have like to say that? it in that voice, otherwise if you see, it's just called the demon Bagul. Bagul, like the boogeyman. And the, the interesting thing about Sinister was that for about half an hour... It seemed like it was going to do something that may be kind of intriguing and it had a certain creepiness to it. And of course, Ethan Hawke is a perfectly uh, fine actor. And I also, it holds a place in my heart, because although I think I think it, it's a mess and it, it wasn't anything like as good as it should have been, it started a very interesting conversation between, between me and uh, Stuart Barr, who's a terrific film journalist, because I had said it's a found footage movie because in it, Ethan Hawke literally finds footage. And he got in touch with me to say, that's not a found footage movie. This is, you know, you're confusing the terms. And we then had a... a, a, a it was the beginning of a of a long standing uh, friendship. He's a he's a very fine writer and knows a lot about horror uh, horror cinema. But so I've, I I quite like Sinister because of the fact that it provoked an interesting discussion, despite the fact that a good hour of the movie isn't any good. So now along comes Sinister Two. This time Ethan Hawke is out of the picture, so it's left to the second stringer, the guy who played uh, the deputy, deputy so and so, to now step in to take the central role because you have to have some kind of major genetic link with the first one. So the story this time is that Shannon Sossaman is a a uh, wife uh, who has escaped uh, a brutish husband with her boys moved them into an affordable rural home. Do you know what happened there? Yeah, that's why it's affordable. And the curse of Bagul is uh, going to be repeated. James Ranson comes along to, uh, to explain to her that something bad is going to happen and also to further investigate the legend of Bagul. There are fragments, uh, references to Bagul, uh, the, the boogeyman. Across all cultures, over the centuries, they, some cultures believed that it lived in another realm, reachable only by ritual or sacrifice. And others believed that it, it fed off of the corruption of innocence. But no matter what, there were always three things in common. There's a murdered family, missing children, and some form of iconological totem, or a... A thematic offering. It's image, literature, music. Okay, so the murders are captured through art? It's aesthetic observance of violence. And that line got a big laugh in the screening that Which I was the in. Aesthetic. This is the aesthetic observance of violence. So whatever charm the original might have had is pretty much thrown out of the window in what is nothing more than a very perfunctory by numbers retread i mean the problems are m- manifold the first one is that in the in the first movie 
there was a certain creepiness about Bagul because you barely saw him and it was a kind of shadowy sort of Babadook thing going on. Now it's just Babadud. Now it's just, he's absolutely everywhere. And it's just like, oh, there's a Marilyn Manson clone standing in the corner of the room. And then he's over there and then he's over there. So that any creepiness, any, you know, that strange mystery when you don't quite see something. You know, the thing about the scariest thing in Alien is when you don't see the alien and then you finally see the alien, but you actually barely do. But when you finally see the alien, that's the moment at which you realise it's just a guy, it's guy in a guy in a rubber suit. And in this case, it's when you go, oh yeah, it's just a goth standing in the corner. I'm not scared by that. Second thing is that the kid's makeup looks like an outtake from a makeup test that was rejected by Guillermo del Toro for the ghostly sequences in The Devil's Backbone. The third thing is that the films themselves have become terribly dull because the films are these uh, sort of major plot points that they are films of some sort of horrific culty murder that happens again and again and again involving youngsters and they've they've become so complicated and overwrought as to have lost any kind of creepy sort of children of the corn appeal that they might once have had it's very very dull uh to the point that even the sprocket fetishism which i kind of you know i like anything that involves super eight movies and the idea of cameras and lacing up projectors there's something very um sort of uh, it's almost erotic about lacing up a projector. You know, no, about seeing, not. Yeah, there is. No, seeing there celluloid isn't. going through, I'm sorry, there's a whole body... What of, is erotic about lacing up a, a camera? I, well, I can't explain it, but just, well, there, there, there is, there's a free... This, you know, the way the celluloid goes through the sprocket... OK, it doesn't matter. What, what matters is... It to do with sprockets and holes. Is that what you're talking about? No, it's nothing that crass. Thank you for saying... It's just to do with the, with the machinery. There is something mechanical about... I, I'm sorry. Okay, mechanical? I'm, uh, yeah, I can Fine. do mechanical. Okay. Just... Anyone who has ever laced up any form of projector will understand the delicious thrill of running them. But what I'm saying is, in this movie, even that has gone. Even that sort of slightly mephitic creepiness about the idea of, you know, in order to make these images play out, you actually have to lace... Even that's gone. So the movie's aren't interesting the lacing up of the projector isn't interesting Bagul imagine just, that imagine that just looks like Marilyn Manson standing in the side of the room uh, the kids makeup isn't badly done the second stringer can't carry the lead the plot is all over the place by the time you get to the end you're back at the beginning and there is a moment in it when one of the, t- the teenage boys says I don't want to watch anymore and you could almost hear the whole cinema going yeah you're not alone kid well and w- do you think maybe if they just had observed Pisces a little bit more, the, the 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 influence there would have worked its way through to their feet. No, and that would because have it's rubbish. Okay, what else is new? Uh, well, let's do a dance of reality, or to give it its title, La Danza della Realidad, which is say that again. Sorry, La Danza della Realidad, which is a dance of reality in what um, language? Uh, well, Chile, so Spanish. So, um, okay. uh, Alejandro Hodorowski. Um, what, what language is that? He's Chilean. Can I just do this? I'm merely asking factual-based questions. Okay, fine. So, Alejandro Khodorovsky, um, it is his first film since uh, The Rainbow Thief, which is in 1990. This played at Cannes in 2013, so it's a couple of years coming to UK cinemas. Khodorovsky made El Topo and Holy Mountain and Santa Sangre and was sort of best known as a kind of cult midnight movies director. And this is a very, very sort of fantastically autobiographical work filmed in the Chilean uh, town village that, in which he grew up. So it's kind of inspired to some extent by Fellini's Amacord or by, I mean, I actually, funnily enough, it reminded me to some extent of Guy Madden's My Winnipeg. Um, so it's a sort of a factually inspired fictional history in which uh, his son, Brontis Khodorovsky, plays his father, 
plays the director's father. The director himself appears as a spirit guide, leading his younger self through the traumas of a childhood in which he is torn between, on the one hand, a sort of Stalin-esque father who uh, dresses like Stalin and believes that he wants his child to be a man and uh, absolutely despises the girlish mane which he, uh, which he affects. And his mother, who is, uh, sings everything, she doesn't speak at all, she sings entirely in opera and uh, has these strange magical powers. And during the course of the movie, what we see Khodorovsky doing is sort of wrestling on the one hand with the, you know, the truth of his past, with this kind of battle between religion and politics, between passion and sensuality and between a hard reality, between the idea of what why are you doing that just sounded a bit tiresome it's not it's completely the opposite it has a carnivalesque quality to it it's i mean very feline-esque although I mean, to some extent been well to some extent i mean people keep making a comparison with with todd browning although i don't think that's entirely fair ken russell would have absolutely loved the film and so the young child is tormented all these various things it's a sort of metaphysical discussion of politics and life and reimagining of his own life it's a film of visionary moments of a black-clad crowd walking across a desert with umbrellas of fish being thrown into the air and falling from ruled the sky. Ruled by Pisces. No, nothing to do with ruled by Pisces. Of a tyrant upon a, a, a white steed, Bicephalus, of... What? A, what are you talking about? It's a film in which Hodorowsky imagines his childhood, in which he genuinely did have this father and this mother, and then right. he imagines a world in which the father right. goes off to do a love-and-death-style assassination, which, I mean, it's a fantastical thing, which he said he can't actually change past, in which his mother is somebody who talks to him only by singing an opera, in which in one section there is a, a beautiful sequence in which the child is completely clad from head to foot in boot polish in order to embrace and therefore overcome his fear of the darkness. If you're somebody who likes Khodorovsky, I think you'll find this really vibrant and enchanting, and it definitely demonstrates that at the age of 80-something, his wellspring has far from run dry. If you're not somebody, I don't think this is going... If you're not somebody who's already a fan of Khodorovsky, I don't think this is going to win new fans, but it's lovely to see him work again. I thought it was joyous, warmer than many of his previous films, certainly less deliberately kind of oblique than some of his uh, cult midnight movies. Obviously, you've seen El Topo and obviously you've seen The Holy Mountain. So I think it's more accessible than those. There Should, are, can I start working my yeah, way through There are moments of grotesquerie in as well, but, oh, it's, but, but, but think of it as a kind of Fellini-esque, Bunuelian celebration. Whoa, 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 stop. Fellini-esque. What was the next bit? Bunuelian. No, actually, it's, actually, you know what? Scrap all of that. It's none of those things. What's, it's, it's Hodorowsky, who is, I think, actually distinctive in and of himself. It's a, here's what you have to do. What's Bunuelian, anyway? What would I... You know, as in Lewis Bunuel, we've had this discussion before. It's, anyway, but it's not. It's not Bunuelian. It's, it's not. It's Hodorowsky. It's Hodorowsky-esque. It is. It's not Hodorowsky-esque. It is Hodorowsky. You know, yeah. I've just realised how hard it is to explain that movie to you. Can I move on to another? I liked it very much. I really enjoyed it. Cool, okay. You hate it. What was it called? It's called The Dance of Reality. Right, okay. I might uh, sneak that in at the weekend. Take Great. The, take the family. <laughs> Gather around, kids. We've got a real treat. We're going to see this film. It's... I, I can't remember, just trust me. Uncle Mark says it's good. <laughs> no thanks, Dad. Okay. Uh, Ian Tucker from Bridge End. Yes. Welcome back. Hope you both had a good holiday. I've been listening to your Wittertainment playlist from BBC Playlister. Being at least one generation younger than you, I think the key word is at yeah, least. at least. It's been a very educating experience. It's similar to stumbling over your dad's record collection and finding out that he's got surprisingly good taste. As you listen to each new song, he slowly transforms from a crumbly old fogey into young hip rocker buried beneath a crumbly old fogey exterior. 
I don't think either of us are exhibiting crumbly old fogey experience. No, certainly not. we're both looking about 31. Can, can, I, I, can I tell you what would actually demonstrate that you're not a crumbly old fogey? If I get into the Hodorowsky groove? Exactly, exactly that. If you go and see uh, Dance of Reality and then you see, you know, that would, that would really... That would that would tell me that you're still open-minded. Is that okay? Well, you know, I'll I'll put it to the vote. Good, and, you know, and see what happens. Okay, excellent. Good old Hodorowsky. Good old Hodorowsky is what we say. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, twenty-five minutes past three o'clock. The email, by the way, I gave out the wrong one early, but it is Mayo at BBC.co.uk, not what I said. So what did you say? Simon Mayo at BBC.co.uk. You see, you've radio. been off so long, you can't even remember. No, it's the Radio Two. It's what I've been saying all week. Okay, it's, it's surprising. Radio it Two, different station. So uh, what else you got? Okay, there? so good people, uh, Kate Hudson and James. Franco, a star in a London-based thriller. They are in a house in which they are running out of money and the house is crumbling. They have a tenant. Tenant uh, pegs it and then they find that the tenant has stashed a huge amount of money. Should they take the huge amount of money or should they heed the warnings of Tom Wilkinson's bereaved and yet wily detective that there are dangerous things afoot? Should they not be completely straight with him? It's a hard choice. We spent our whole lives being good, right? And what has it gotten us? Nothing. So maybe this money is a gift to help us get our lives back on track. Tom, we don't know where this money comes from. Mm-hmm. This could be really, really bad money. I know. But what makes money bad? Not the money. <sighs> the people make it bad. What people do with it. No, I'm not saying we do anything rash. All I'm saying is we just wait and see. He's been dead a week. I say we just hide it and wait a week. Two weeks. See, the weird thing about this is it starts out as shallow grave, you know, which is that same story with the people in the house and they've got the tenant and the dies and the thing. What are we going to do? Take the money. It's going to be... And then... You think, okay, fine, so the plot points are really so straightforward. They take the money, they start spending the money, it starts to have, have a bad effect on them, things start to fall apart. But And then it turns into straw dogs. And then at the, the end of it, it's a kind of a low-rent straw dogs, which is all about being holed up in a house and, you know, using makeshift things to, to, to see off, uh, you know, evildoers. And what's bizarre about the film is, which is, you know, oddly starry. I mean, you know, Kay Hudson, James Franco, Tom Wilson, good cast, is not only how very familiar and very straight to DVD B-movie it is, but also the surprise that it manages to botch so many of its plot points. Because you kind of think at the beginning, everybody knows how this plays out. Everybody knows this story. Everybody's seen all of these things done before. It's just recycling riffs that appear every week in a you know a movie that will be on Channel 5 at 10 o'clock. You know, it's one of those straight to DVD, straight to VOD B-movies that just happens to be very briefly passing through cinemas because of its A-list cast. And there are cop shop conversations in which cops talk in a way that cops really don't that make the Sweeney sound like a hard-hitting documentary and when I say the Sweeney I mean the Nick Love version of the Sweeney not the Sweeney version of the Sweeney so it's as the plot is as badly maintained as the houses in which the story plays out everybody looks like they must have just done it because it was a jolly and much as I'd like to say well great support local film industry it will be coming very soon to a Channel 5 uh, broadcast near you is it an Anton Wilkinson movie? Does he get the end? You know, I. I'm ashamed, like to, be. I'm ashamed to say I didn't. No, I mean he's all. I mean he's third build, 
Um, but I'm ashamed to say... No, I don't think it is Anton Wilkinson. His party's much too big to be Anton Wilkinson. I know he always asks for the and, but he is... If It's it's a sort of three-hander. And uh, and then Omar Sy is in it as well. He's sort of like the... He draws the short straw because he's the kind of... He's the smooth-talking guy who has to deliver all these gnomic threats that don't sound very threatening. Or indeed, gnomic. He should definitely do some Piscean... What would a gnomic threat sound like? You know, when somebody says, the door that is open can be pushed from both sides by a gnome. Oh, no, no. No, sorry, no. Very and I thought, and Fellini-esque in places. And now you're just being mean. What we can do next? Yeah, in the next half, news and sport coming now. Bad education, which I went to see this morning, in the absence of a press show. And everybody knows exactly what you thought just based on the way you said and constructed and emphasised those words. Vacation and the Wolfpack. All to come, Gemma and Bovary, loads you of stuff. can get involved. You're doing a Tom Courtney there, just no, speaking no. randomly. Robin was talking in my ear while Who's I was talking Robin? to you. Which you mean, we've already spoken oh, about him, the Scottish editor. editor. Yeah. So you can't be mentioned. Uh, Bagool. He is our very own Bagool. Presenting an exquisite new part work which builds week after week to create an exquisite collection of the best Betamax, Video 2000, VHS, Laserdiscs, Blu-ray, and, of course, DVDs. It's DVD of the Week. Yes, each week I'll be choosing a beautiful new release which you can then buy and keep. Each choice includes a feminist Marxist critique from my colleague, the esteemed critic, Mark Kermode. The first issue of DVD of the Week starts today in the podcast and each week after that so why not download the podcast today to discover my choice of newly released Betamax of the week from the people who brought you TV movie of the week terms and conditions haven't been thought of episode 2 comes free with episode 1 sign me up now sign me up now uh, t- Did you know they were going to play that then? Yeah. That was okay, fine. I'm told they these tell things. you things that don't tell me nothing. TV movie of the week, just before uh, our top horse race. Mm-hmm. Owen Kowalski says, I'm going to pick uh, War of the Worlds, a uh, prime example of how the limitations of 1950s produced a far better film than the remake. I like Less the remake, more. incidentally, which I watched again over the holidays. Robin Bales, I might check out Shutter Island, as I've heard both good and bad. Uh, I think Mark's going to pick Don't Look Now. Uh, Ian Ailey, if my own choice would be The Dark Crystal. Uh, Harry Rhodes, Constable, says it has to be Kill List. Uh, and David Atherton says Gordon's Alive. Gordon's Alive. Anyway, what are you going to go for? I'm going to go for Don't Look Now. Can I very quickly say something about Shutter Island, which is that if you're going to watch Shutter Island, do watch The Ninth Configuration, because I'm absolutely certain that Martin Scorsese has seen The Ninth Configuration, the William Peter Blatty movie, which is very, very similar. I mean, obviously, they all owe a debt to things like Shot Corridor, but it's it, it, those, two, those two movies make a very interesting double bill. However, I'm going to go for Don't Look Now, and the, the reason I'm going to go for it is that in the time that we've been off... Air. Um, a went, year. A the, year. We've been on the cruise for Four a year. weeks, as it happens, but there we go. I went to Venice, and one of the things that I did was I walked around Venice with uh, you know, earphones listening to the Pino Donaggio soundtrack to Don't Look Now, and it is just one of the greatest film soundtracks of all time. And the combination of those sounds with Rogue's vision of Venice, I mean, admittedly, the whole thing about Don't Look Now is it's out of season, so it's, you know, it's more empty and creepy and... But it's it's really wonderful. I, I know people have seen Don't Look Now before, but watch it again and watch it with your ears. That that soundtrack is just 
beautiful, absolutely spine-tingling. So most people with headphones in, they're listening to some kind of informed um, uh, tourist analysis of uh, the places that you're walking through. Yes, so I'm you... listening to... Harry, a fellow Warwick University alumnus. You don't know that, Jim, Beats Manchester hands down, says Harriet. Dear voices from inside my iPad, I'm a British diplomat working in the Middle East in a country that doesn't have cinemas. Your show helps me live vicariously. I can almost taste the popcorn and hear the rustle of code-violating food items when I listen. So huge thanks for that. Oh, and I've been listening to you for about a billion years. I can't remember when I started. I'm out here without my husband, Phil. If it wasn't back in the days of Radio 1, then it doesn't count. My husband, Phil, who is back home in Yorkshire, running a microbrewery. He's a big fan too, and it would be totes amaze if you could say happy 40th birthday to him. It might help him make up for being thousands of miles away. Happy 40th. Um, I'm sure there are loads of diplomats out there listening to you, but given our customary discretion, I guess you don't often hear from us. That's true. <laughs> well, because they're, because they're diplomatic. diplomats. Hi to Jason, and if you need any diplomatic facilitation during the next cruise, don't hesitate to ask. Is that like immunity? Well, I don't know. I, I guess... Doesn't it means, diplomatic immunity, isn't that the thing that means you can do whatever you want, but they can't touch you because you've got diplomatic immunity? Isn't that how it works? Yeah. Uh, so the TV movie uh, of the week, by the way, everybody, just, just to go back to where we were uh, mm-hmm. on that, it's a pretty good week, actually. It is a very good week. And, a number of, uh, and most people correctly said that you were going to go for Don't Look Now. For Don't Look Now. But a number of people were talking about Gunga Din. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. From 1939. Yep. The War of the Worlds original from 1953. Yep. Uh, and Sinister. The is original worth, is, yeah, is worth mentioning everything. because that's there tucked in. Uh, so, and if we're going to see a Sinister, we're definitely not seeing Sinister. No, two. if you're going to see a Sinister, see Sinister at 10.55, okay. uh, 23rd of August on Film 4. What, what have you got for us? A bad education. We talk about it. Is it bad education time? It is bad education time. So, um, you might get interrupted, by the way, but anyway. Carry okay, on. fine. So I went to see Bad Education this morning. Um, in the absence of the press screenings, there was a premiere last night. Um, apparently, officially, the movie wasn't finished in time. Uh, so uh, this is uh, a spin-off of the... Well, it wasn't finished in time. ...of the TV series. And That's uh, weird. essentially, it follows in that great uh, British tradition of, you know, there's a TV series and it works quite well when things are short. Let's take it and turn it into a feature film and it might not work out quite so well. So the story is Jack Whitehall is the teacher. The class are coming to the end of something. He took them... The last time he took them on a school trip, it was, like, dead amaze and totally catastrophic. And now he wants to take them on the last school trip. There isn't any money. So he decides that, in fact, what he's going to do is to pay to take them to Cornwall because Cornwall's cheap and funny. And immediately that they get to Cornwall, uh, everything starts going wrong. They get mixed up with Cornish Liberation Front. They go off grid and uh, they go to a local pub. And by that point, the police are looking for them. Here's a clip. I'm looking for seven children. This look like a nursery. Burn. I don't believe I've had the pleasure. It's an out-of-towner, is it? Well, this lad's got Cornish blood running through every vein. Meet my bastard son. Conceived in a moment of passion in a faraway port. I'm just having a few ears here with me old pa. That port being... Kingston, Jamaica. Me got to love the dirty wine. But me also love a little bit of fudge. The pasty and the rice, auntie. Is that Van Willian? Mm, Fellini-esque? No. 
Herodoskus-esque. <laughs> so, so what happened was, um, this, the standard thing about, you know, how cross I got about Entourage was people said, well, you didn't watch the Entourage series and therefore you, you, don't, you don't understand the, the film. Although I know loads of people that watched the Entourage series that thought the film was as wretched as I did. I mean, you know, other critics and other people who aren't critics who, who all felt the same thing. So in the case of this, it was interesting because I haven't seen the Bad Education TV series. So I went en masse with a group of people. There was uh, me, a uh, 15-year-old teenager, and, um, you know, from my family, and Mike Carhill, who's a critic who I know and get on very well with. And I am uh, 52, and Mike is 37, and uh, teenager is 15 and so representative spread and uh, one of us has never seen Bad Education the TV series before one of us has watched the TV series sporadically and one of us has watched pretty much all of the TV series and the dominant sound in the theatre that I was in there was only three of us in because it was very first thing in the morning because we had to go to the 10-15 screening was absolute silence and as the absolute silence I mean I thought what will happen is that somebody will start to laugh well firstly the teenager fell asleep for a little bit, the and then they were saying, "Won't to do that." No, no, I know, but that's the kind of target audience. Um, the, Mike, uh, the other critic, tweeted that after the first half hour, which he just found so enraging and repulsive, it just settled down into being something that he didn't care about at all. My main experience of it was that it looked once again like you take a TV series. If you're going to make it into uh, a film, you have to up the vulgarity and up the crudity. So you have to have you know more of that kind of humour, which there is absolutely in the first five ten minutes. There is hamsters and uh jet thrusters and you can do the maths on it and Hang then on. there's an, no, 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 don't 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 step away from it okay because it's 20 to 4 quarter to 4 in the well, afternoon you mentioned hamsters I know. And, uh, yes that's fine fine and then there is, uh, you know, there's an awful lot of uh, Jack Whitehall's trousers being pulled down. And there's an awful lot. Of, all of this stuff is in the trailer. And the sort of central gag is that they go to Cornwall. And, you know, in Cornwall, everything is like really kind of, you know, d- totally old fashioned and, and, and mad and weird. And yet, and then they get to, you know, tied up with the Cornish Liberation Front. Or they, they're called the Corn, what they call oh, the dear, Cornish Liberation Alliance. I think called, yes, exactly. Desperate. If you've ever seen that film Straw Dogs, which I referred to just a moment ago, it, it says something when you say that Straw Dogs actually has a more sympathetic, a more nuanced, a more intelligent take on Cornwall than uh, the Bad Education movie does. And remember, that's a movie which, when I went to interview the residents of St. Borian about Straw Dogs, one of the guys there who was in the movie said, yeah, well, they tried their hardest to make us look really backward and terrible, but I don't think they succeeded. Believe me, in comparison with what goes... And the real sadness for me is I've spent the last three weeks in Cornwall, which is a place that I love, and it's proud and beautiful and fabulous, and watching the Bad Education movie left a rather poor taste in the mouth. There was... There's a sequence which takes place uh, in the Eden Project where quite recently I did a screening of Silent Running and it was magical and fabulous. And then watching it in the Bad Education movie, it looked dingy and horrible and grotesque and rather vile. I didn't laugh once. The teenager didn't laugh once. Uh, The 37-year-old professional critic didn't laugh once. We all came out of it agreeing that it was absolutely without redeeming features other than that after the first half an hour, the sort of catastrophic level of boredom became so much that you just ceased to be bothered by it. I wonder whether if it played in a huge sort of thronging cinema, as it presumably would have done at the premiere last night, that you you know the the waves of other people maybe there are other people enjoying it all i can say is that is the best cross section i could have got of you know 15 37 52 none of us laughed some of us have seen the tv series 
some of us haven't some of us have seen a bit of it none of us laughed we all sat there from the beginning to the end of the film one of us fell asleep two of us stayed awake banging none the table, of us guys, laughed banging the table and uh, getting carried away no I'm not getting carried away because I just thought it was it, horrible but you know what I mean not I didn't get as cross about it. it's not like Keith uh, Keith Lemon the movie um, which I thought was really repulsive it's just really tacky and well, rubbish. But, but really honest, tacky and from rubbish. When you told me you were going to see it, I said, yeah. I've seen the trailer. The trailer looks truly, The trailer is terrible. every gag in the film. Every gag in the film. On the subject of which, what? Vacation is out, okay? So Vacation, which is an update of National Lampoon's Vacation from 1983, okay? So the story, you know, in Vacation, Chevy Chase, who does it take the family across country to Wally World. Now we have uh, the remake of Vacation. And in the case of the remake of Vacation, every single gag that's in the film is in the trailer. And it's the same thing again, because Ed Helms is starring, you know, you take something which was kind of had a sort of certain innocent, although actually rather naff charm in its original version, and you up the crass jokes because we've got Ed Helms in there. So, oh, that's going to attract the hangover crowd, isn't it? So we must, in that case, have you know, get a much more sort of toilet humour and much more kind of, you know, bottom obsessed stuff. We must have all of that because Ed Helms is in the movie. And again, you sat there watching it and there's, you know, they go across across country about 2,000 miles and en route every... I single thing that happens is in the trailer. Here's a clip. Guys, I have exciting news. The four of us are going to take a little trip. Paris. Hmm? No, much better. We're driving to Wally World. What? This family's in a rut. We got to shake things up, right? Spend a little quality time. And of course, it wouldn't hurt for the boys to learn to get along a little better. Uh, by locking them in a car together? Yeah. Guys, come on. My trip to Wally World when I was a kid was the best time I ever had. So you just want to redo your vacation from 30 years ago? Don't you think that's going to be kind of a letdown? No, 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 no. We're not redoing anything. This will be completely different. For one thing, the original vacation had a boy and a girl. This one has two boys. And I'm sure that there will be lots of other differences. I've never even heard of the original vacation. Doesn't matter. The new vacation will stand on its own. See what they did there? They made a joke about the fact that they that joke's in the trailer. Although in the trailer, it's about 10 seconds long. There's another bit when they're going along and they're trying to get to a hot springs and somebody says, oh, you get there's a shortcut that way. And they go and they swim in these hot springs and they go, oh, it's all lovely. All this mud is all lovely. And then it turns out that it's, it's not hot springs. It's an open sewer. And then they have to jump out. That joke's in the trailer. In the trailer, it lasts 17 seconds. I timed it. In the film, it lasts about seven and a half, eight minutes. There's a joke in the film in which the boy is asking his father for some advice about, you know, growing up up in matters of uh, sexuality and uh, that joke's in the trailer and it lasts in the trailer I, again i timed it 12 and a half seconds and uh in the movie goes on for about it is honestly if you've seen the trailer which isn't funny the first time around watching the movie is like watching all the jokes on slow motion you get to the point you go oh they're coming to the hot springs we're going to be swimming in sewer it's what it's like it's what it's like it's like taking an album an unfunny comedy album recorded at 78 and playing it at 16. There probably weren't any unfunny comedy albums recorded at 78. And no. I think no one ever played anything at 16 apart from for comedic effect. No. Can I do a couple no, of other movies? Okay, fine. No, you can't. Luke Masters yeah. last yeah. night saw a Vacation at Harbour Lights in Southampton. It was far from cinema gold. <laughs> and it will probably not hold up on second or third showing. But it was still good fun and consistently funny. Far from cinema gold. Sean in Brentwood. I recently had the good fortune uh, to be uh, in America. 
uh, and I went to see Vacation. I was outvoted. But anyway, that's what we went to see. And let me first say I'm 14 before I tell you that I loved it. It's 100% crude schoolboy humour. So if you like that, you'll love it. And really it's slow jokes. And just before you continue, I just want to mention this. Pisces rules the feet because it appears at the bottom of the zodiac and holds up the weight of the others. Complete tosh, says Simon on this, but that's why. And this from Nibs in Bolton. Good afternoon, gents. As the film editor on classics such as Danger Mouse and Count Duckula, it was part of my job to thread and operate... There's an exorcist gag in Count Duckula. It was part of my job to thread and operate the 16mm projector Cosgrove Hall films back in the 80s, on which we viewed the daily rushes. I can confirm that at no point whatsoever did I feel erotically charged when <laughs> okay. carrying out this task, but perhaps that was down to the source material. Fair enough. Get Dave else. Norris on the case. We'll All sort it right. again. OK, do something then. We're, to... We've probably got time for one more, yes. and then we'll do another one in the podcast. OK, so Super. Wolfpack, which is a do- documentary which played at Sundance, did very well, directed by Crystal Marcel, and it is the story of a group of brothers, long-haired brothers who she first spotted walking in the streets of New York, looking very striking, long-haired, dark glasses, suit and shades, dressed in reservoir dogs drag it was actually a rare outing for them they were brothers who had grown up almost entirely cloistered from the world with their mother and father their father oscar who is very domineering who believed that actually he wanted to keep them uh safe from the corruption of the world there was one entire year when they didn't leave the apartment at all and now they were starting to find a certain amount of freedom she found them fascinating and conducted interviews about this strange life that they had lived in an apartment on lower east side in which their primary contact with the world was through movies here's a clip my parents didn't always encourage us to communicate with society so we were kind of shut off always lived in this apartment in new york Lower East Side, Manhattan, and we never really communicated with people. We were taught by our father not to talk to strangers, you know, the whole thing, but it was farther than that. It was like, don't even look at people. We didn't make any friends. We were homeschooled. Also the fear that my parents had, because it's New York, anything can happen. My father kind of, I think, I felt he overdid it. Like he was almost too worried, too concerned. It's an interesting film, not least because the way in which the boys learn about life is through watching movies like Pulp Fiction and The Dark Knight, which you would think would give someone a very strange version of the world. What's fascinating is that they have also learned performance skills because they reenacted and played out these movies, actually sometimes in, in a way which attracted the attention of the law. Um, but what you get is people who are almost camera-ready documentary subjects who have had a very unusual upbringing in which their you know, vision of the world has been filtered through modern popular cinema. They're very articulate, they're very um, you know, attractive company, and the documentary brings you into this strange world. There is a darkness lurking behind because the whole thing about what it is that the domineering father is really trying to do in keeping everybody within the apartment. There is a, a sequence in which we kind of, you know, we see the other side of this argument. It's an interesting, I don't think it's a brilliantly made documentary, but it's a very, very interesting subject. Movie of the week? Well, The Dance of Reality. And for normal folk? The Dance of Reality. This has been a Something Else production for BBC Radio 5 Live. The podcast will be available very, very shortly with lots of excitable extras. Next Friday, we're on at the later time of three o'clock. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Drive. Simon Mark, thank you very much indeed. In the next hour then on Drive, the driver of the Glasgow bin lorry which crashed into and killed six people is accused of telling a pack of lies.
Well, isn't it good to have us back, don't you think? <laughs> I'm just speaking now on behalf of the nation. Don't yes. you think? It's lovely to have us back. Very good. Um, my guess is that bad education won't do very well in Cornwall. No, it might it might do because, you know, I, I, who knows? I mean, the thing is, it's got an inbuilt audience because people like the TV series and, you know... <laughs> Who knows? It'll be number one next week or something, won't it? You know. Do you reckon? I, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that I thought it was awful. On the subject of uh, the Wolf Pack, which you just mentioned a few de- a few moments ago, Tom Goodfellow, who's in Sydney, uh, says the Wolf Pack is fascinating, disconcerting, and sometimes very funny depiction of family dysfunction. Uh, the re- recreations of classic movie scenes are bound to appeal to members of the church, and I will never hear Tarzan Boy by Baltimore quite the same way again. At the end, though, it's the unanswered questions about the family that linger in the mind and continue to disturb. How is Tarzan Boy? Can, it, can, 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 can we hear it? Yes. Okay, okay fine. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, I suppose this is gonna, now going to have to make it onto the playlist. A bit of Euro pop. Ring any bells yet? Yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's lots of you know home video films. Can we can we listen? Yeah. Okay. What is? This is it. Yeah. It's the record that you went on holiday. Yeah. It was playing everywhere. Jumping up and down in corridors. And I didn't. You know, I don't think I knew it was called Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. It's kind of like string vest and tight pants. That's that's the kind it's of like image. It's like what? 1985, everybody wore that. You know it. So we go. Should be on the playlist. <laughs> so this, go on. So I was going to say, so the scene in the film is that they're all dancing around the apartment to. To, this. to that, I didn't realise that was called uh, Tarzan Boy. What were you doing in 1985 to have missed? I wasn't doing this. this. Were you behind the barricades? I don't know. I tell you exactly what I was doing in 1985. Right. I was. Yeah, I was exactly trotting the barricades at that point. Uh, Right, so uh, I think that's quite it. I don't... What what do you think? I'm not going to put that on the playlist. I don't like it. Scottish Scottish editor says he's just going to put it on anyway, but I suppose... Okay, fine, whatever. So... uh, Tory! Isn't that... It's really good. Whatever you say, if someone just doesn't want to join in, that's Tory. Although, obviously, that might have to change when the next election is. So, uh... Is there anything else that you didn't get, have time for? Gemma Bovary, which is um, an adaptation uh, of uh, Posey Simmons' source. Uh, Gemma Arterton, of course, was in uh, Tamara Drew, which again was from Posey Simmons. So here she plays Gemma Bovary, Bovary, who uh, is a British woman who moves to... Why did not- you say Bovary like Because that? she spelt Bovary as opposed to Bovary. But you say Bovary, don't you, Gemma Bovary? Yes, but Madame Bovary, mm-hmm. Gemma Bovary. So it's close, but not the same. Close, but no cigar. Yeah, thank you. She moves to Normandy with her husband, played by Jason Fleming, and um, she is observed from across the street by the baker, Fabrice Lucini, Lucini. and he immediately... 
<laughs> by Google. And he immediately begins, he says, oh, it's, inc- it's incredible. She's called Gemma Bovary. Elle s'appelle Gemma Bovary. You know, so, and he thinks that there's, you know, great literary uh, connection between her and the character of mm. Madame Bovary, of course, very famously uh, bored housewife. And then what happens is that Gemma Bovary does indeed turn into a bored housewife who then starts to have extramarital flings, which do indeed subtly mirror and pastiche and satire the Flaubert. She She does indeed thread the film while she's doing that. Actually, there is, there's some kneading of bread in a way. Exactly the same. And uh, it's directed by Anne Fontaine. And I like uh, Gemma Arton very much. There's, there's almost two films going on. The film in which there's Gemma Arton and Fabrice Lucini together actually works rather well. It has a satirical spark. Uh, They're both very good performers. They, you know, they play off each other, the Britishness, the Frenchness. And, Actually, that works rather well. In other parts of the film, there is more of a disjunct between, on the one hand, the ooer carry-on sort of sexual caper shenanigans. There's a sequence in which Gemma is stung by a bee and Fabrice Lugini has to suck out the bee's poison, you know, in a very, very sort of carry-on way. And the more... Serious is probably the wrong word, but because the the whole thing is building towards some sense of tragedy about the collapse of her marriage, and those elements don't quite gel. So it's very, very uneven. And also, Gemma Arterton does a terrific job of making us think that the rest of the British cast are better than they are, to be honest. And some of the British cast are a little bit ropey. Um, Not Jason Fleming, incidentally. But... It's kind of fine and frothy fun. If it didn't have Gemma Arton and Fabrice Lucini, it'd be a very a much less likable movie. They are its main appeal. She, in particular, I think, has fun with the role, gets the tone of it just right, manages to make it, you know, funny when it has to be, flirty when it has to be, and slightly sort of fragile and sensitive when it needs to be. So she's very good. It itself is frothy and uneven, but I have to say, enjoyable. Liz O'Ridden uh, on this email. Yes. Uh, Simon and Mark, I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer, which is ironic as I'm a consultant breast surgeon and I'm having chemotherapy first before surgery. So I get eight days of the worst hangover of my life and then 12 days to recover when I can actually concentrate on a film. Do you have any good recommendations for films that I can watch during my good weeks? I've got another four months to go and could do with filling in the gaps in my film education. You were talking about film education earlier, so yes. What would you so specific circumstances? But what? Uh, what so these what are got for Liz? so these are films to make you feel well. I get yeah. So on her good for yeah for her good weeks. Yeah. So films to make you feel better. I guess uplifting so. films. Is that is that is that? She well, she wants a good recommendation of a film to watch during her good weeks. So yeah. on balance, I wouldn't watch a movie to make her feel no, no, exactly. Gloomy. Well. Although it's 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 my go-to choice, and it always is. Not Silent Running. Please don't say Silent Running. Local Hero. Oh, that's right. Because Local Hero is one of those films that no matter how many times you watch it, it just makes you feel better. It is... I mean, you know, Bill Forsyth famously described the idea of it as being a cross between Brigadoon and Apocalypse Now. And it's one of those movies in which the Mark Knopfler soundtrack is superbly uplifting and afterwards you can listen to it on headphones and take the CD around you. It's one of those movies that, you know, will stay with you. It has extraordinary dialogue exchanges. It's beautifully written. It's rich and fulfilling and strange and magical and sweet and gentle and it kind of washes over you. In a, in a sort of lovely warm wave, but it's not without bite, it's not without edge, it's not without substance, it's not without something a little bit astringent running through it. 
And I, I think under any circumstances, watching that movie will make you feel better. One from you? Well, a Big Hero 6. <laughs> yeah, no, it's sure. Fine, Big Hero 6, yes. Go on, do the thing. Go on. But you have to do the fist bump. You will come out and then you'll want to fist bump everybody. Go, balala. And Amadeus. Oh, Amadeus because? Because it will... No, actually not Amadeus. Really? Why not? Well, yes, maybe Amadeus. Because it is uplifting, despite the fact that it has a sort of, you know, there is a tragic arc to it. Yes. But it is actually... The music is uplifting and there's lots to laugh at and... And can I also, in that case, say, because you you were slightly mean to me because I was going to say Silent Running originally, because (laughs) you know me too well, that's the problem. Because Silent Running is a, and Silent Running is a super and Silent Running is a superb film which you know you may well not have Doug seen. Doug Trumbull, mention him. Doug Trumbull, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mary Poppins, of course, every single time without fail. Um, you know what I watched recently? Um, I watched Krakatoa East of Java, which is only the third time I've ever seen it because I saw West of Java, of course. Yeah, exactly, famously, and I saw it as a kid, and then I. It sort of became a primal memory. And then when I was writing a book some five years ago, I watched it again to see whether a sequence that I had written about was actually in the film, whether I had completely imagined it. And indeed it was, but not in the way that I had imagined it. And then it, it turned up. It was on either on television or on the... Somehow I found myself in a room with Krakatoa East of Java. And it's better than I remember it being. I mean, it's a bit rubbish, but it was kind of, it was kind of fun. But yeah, the, the, the ones that are always going to work, Local Hero... Silent Running, Mary Poppins, obviously, um, Amadeus from you, Godfather, you know, again, Big I just... Hero I, it's Big Hero 6. Try those, Liz. Try those and come back for more if they're no good. Yeah. Um, Andrew Steele, Mark, no, 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 what, what, no, what, no, what? no, 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 lots of no's, no, no. I've just left a screening of the Bad Education movie. I really enjoyed it. OK. Myself and other 25 people in the cinema all chortled all the way through. I'm a fan of the show and knew what to expect. My only complaint was the jokes were all in the trailer. Sorry, Mark. Yes, yeah. the jokes were all in the trailer. First time I've listened to the live show. Too much cricket and horse racing. I I honestly, Andrew, think that's a crazy view and I'm not sure what that's based on. Anyway, DVD of the week. You mentioned it earlier. What's going to happen? What? DVD of the week. When are oh, we yes. doing that? Oh, when are we going to do that? We're going to do that now. Are we going to do that now? Uh, well, we're, we're, we've been going on a long time. Yes, this yes, is one yes. of the longest podcasts. If we don't do it now, it'll be too late. OK, fine. So, so tell is there a jingle? Have we got a DVD? No. OK, Mark, tell us about the DVD of the week. OK, so DVD of the week is... DVD of the week now. This is, of all the DVDs that are out, this is the one for the week. Choose this one. Yes, you're making this more complicated than it needs to be. It comes out on Monday, this DVD. So it's next week, really. But anyway, go. OK, fine. The DVD of the week, Simon, which I'm so glad you asked me about, is The Falling, which is the Carol Morley film, which for my money is one of the best films I've seen this year and indeed uh, in recent years. It is a terrifically enigmatic tale of a girls' school in which a tragedy suddenly provokes these strange outbreaks of fainting fits. The girls seem to be tied up in something which may, on the one hand, be hysterical, but it might be something other than that. It may be something borderline supernatural. It may be some kind of Jungian, you know, collective consciousness event. And as the event spirals and as the fallings themselves become more and more theatrical, the underlying divisions between the characters, even within the characters themselves, 
are sort of laid laid out and teased out and explored. And what I love about the film is we were talking earlier on in the programme about Nick Rogue's Don't Look Now. This is clearly a film uh, which has an influence uh, on Carol Morley's The Falling. Uh, also, uh, Peter Weir's Picnic at Hanging Rock would be another film in which it's deliberately ambiguous. You are left to the audience to decide what it is that you've seen. I think it's a real sort of spine-tingling psychological chiller. It's something which is, you know... Um, Actually, maybe chiller is the wrong word. It's a mystery. It's a suspenseful story. It's something which on some levels reminded me of the Italian Gialli, but without that sort of sense of uh, outre outrage or extreme outrage. cinema. outrage. I haven't had any outre, outre outrage in for quite a long, a long time. time. But it does have that sort of Argento-esque touch of just slightly squiff, out-of-kilter reality. I didn't understand that last sentence. You try should see the film. and Try watch it again. Try it okay. again. Run, run it past me again. It is a film which reminded me, to some extent, of the slightly out-of-kilter outre reality yep. of the Dario Argento, and to some extent, you know, mm. Barva. Barva, um, yes. I love it when you do this. I absolutely love it when you do this. <laughs> it's only when I haven't got a clue Actually, funnily enough, about. the thing that it does remind me of, yes. which I hadn't thought of until What's the just film now, again we're talking about? It's called The Falling, directed the falling, by yes. Carol Morley. Is the Stondahl Syndrome. I, that, I, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Of course, yeah, you would um, have just leapt. Stondahl, the, Stondahl Syndrome, syndrome was, the was the thing that was on the tip of your tongue. So anyway, that's it. Our DVD of the week, and it's really terrific, and Carol Morley is a real terrific talent. Most people thought Dee Goldsmith, uh, Lee Padden, Sandy Camargo, Ben Keeler, all thought you were going to go for Eyes Without a Face. That's what they thought you were going to pick. Yeah, which is wonderful. I have done a blog about it. bbc.co.uk slash Mark It's all about you. It man. is all about me. Anyway, I've got to go and do my other show now. So thank you ever so much. Just a reminder, just an hour next week. OK. Only an hour. But the podcast will expand almost beyond the law. Yeah. To bring you all the coverage that you need. OK. Thank you very much indeed. A whimsical conclusion from you? Um, really nice to be back. How nice is it? It's lovely. What was your favourite part of the cruise? Uh, the bit when you were on shore yeah. and we had the party that we didn't tell you about. Oh, OK. You said you weren't going to mention that. Anyway, thanks very much indeed for listening and we'll try it again next week. OK. If we're still allowed and not being replaced by people who might be better than us. Sure thing. On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live.